know, there's like a sacredness about drug use because it makes you feel so beautiful. You know, heroin, whatever it is. The second you get in your hand, you do it and that feeling comes over you. But it's an artificial feeling. So when you do something outside of those drugs and you taste like the divine, you know, where you sense like the divinity inside of you, you're like, I need to continue down this course. This is Adam Wenger and you are listening to the Lifestylist Podcast. Well, my friends, we are back with another doozy of an episode for you today. This is number 437. You can find show notes, links, and transcripts for this bad boy at lukestory.com slash Adam. Here's a little mini bio on our guest, Adam. Our guest, Adam, grew up in Miami and attended the University of Florida. He started martial arts at an exceedingly young age and continues an extensive jujitsu practice as a black belt as well as training in boxing and Muay Thai kickboxing. After suffering a spine and leg injury in college, Adam was treated with pharmaceutical opioids, which led to an intense but all-too-common addiction. On his path to recovery, he became immersed in Zen Buddhism, health and wellness, and began his lifelong path into spirituality. This eventually led Adam to graduate with a degree in applied physiology and kinesiology as he sought to bring greater physical healing to others as he had done for himself. Then in 2017, Adam founded Element Health, one of the leading suppliers of the highest quality full-spectrum CBD products in the world. Now in this episode, we of course go deep into Adam's expertise in all things CBD, but there's also some very powerful medicine in his personal journey of healing and awakening. He's just an incredible guy, and uh, I got to say, we just became instant homies from the moment he sat down on the mic, as you will, I'm sure, hear during this conversation. And here's a quick blast of bullet points to give you a general idea of what we get up to in this meeting of minds and hearts. We discuss being prepared for the proverbial shit to hit the fan, the ethics of hunting, and why Adam chooses to hunt wild hogs with his bare hands and a knife. His run with opioids and how he escaped a life of addiction. Finding the divine inside yourself when you're convinced that drugs are the only way to get there his life-changing experience with meditation and his path into Zen Buddhism and his numerous near-death experiences, what led Adam to formulate his first unique CBD products at home and then to eventually scale his operation to what it is today. He also shares with us the scoop on the language often used to market CBD and what to look out for, how CBD helps with anxiety, depression, and insomnia, various cannabis strains used to make CBD products, the pros and cons of indoor versus outdoor hemp growing, the various extraction methods from least to most toxic, my recent harrowing run-in with CBD gummies laced with something called Delta 8 THC, the risks of vaping, the truth about CBD topicals, CBD for pets, and the interesting tale of how a smokable ayahuasca led Adam to reverse his zero sperm count and conceive his son. And finally, how Adam has used baby biohacking to set his adorable one-year-old son up for a long, healthy life and so much more. And I'll give you a heads up, by the end of this conversation, you will likely want to try some of Adam's incredible CBD products. So I'll tell you now, you can do so by visiting lukestory.com slash elementhealth. He also generously provided a 15% discount code for you listeners, which is, of course, Luke. And as you'll hear in this conversation, I truly love his products, and I'm sure that you will too. So I highly recommend checking them out. 
Okay, my fellow travelers, I now invite you to join me on the journey of getting to know the wisdom and compassion of Adam Wenger on the Lifestylist Podcast. Adam, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thank you. I want to start out with your current life right now. And what I'm curious about, just from reading your bio and whatnot, is uh, the fact that you live on a farm in Florida. And that's interesting to me because I think right now many of us are seeking to kind of get out of cities and become more self-sufficient. But secondarily, because I had no idea there was even such a thing as a farm in Florida because I've never been anywhere where there's anything except, what do you call them? Not, they're not, are they swamps? You know, the- uh, The Everglades. The Everglades, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm like Everglades or city is kind of the only thing I've ever seen. So I mean, most of Florida is like farmland actually, aside from- Tampa, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Orlando. I guess that's why. I've only just flown into a city. And Most left. people. Yeah. Um, yes, we have 13 acres, which I thought was a lot. But when you're there and you meet a neighbor from 20 miles away or wherever it is, 20 acres away, and they tell you, yeah, I got 400 acres and this. I'm like, oh, guess I'm still a city boy to an extent. <laughs> but yeah, in 2020, we we just knew we wanted to live on the land. And when we had a child in 2021, I wanted to be fully prepared for him to be grounded, to know nature, to know his birthright, to be part of nature, to be part of more than just the fast-paced city life. And yeah, we have cattle there. We have a really neat home. It was built before we got there, but the uh, architect wanted to be kind of like a Bali treehouse type thing. Oh, cool. So when you go and you look at it, it's, it doesn't look like it belongs in Florida. But the cows, the orange groves, you realize, oh, I am in Florida. And it's, it's a little bit different from what most people picture in terms of mountainous or plains or living in nature. It's pretty rugged. We have huge spiders. I tell people like the size of our hand that just might be on your wall in your living room. Really? Eventually, yeah, eventually they start sensing, oh, there's people here. Let me back off. And... Um, I like the idea that there's a lot of animal life there because I'm a hunter. I think it's important to know where your food comes from. Uh, a lot of people don't understand hunting. To me, it's, it's a painful thing every time I do it. I enjoy going and I want to bring my son, but when it comes to the actual hunting part, I really feel it like deep in my core for the animal. And I think that's an important thing because I eat meat, so I need to know like what it feels like. And I wanted him to know this. Not only that, it was chaotic in 2020. So I thought, you know what? It'll be a little bit safer. Sure, there might be like a tidal wave in Florida or who knows, but we won't be in Miami Beach. We won't be surrounded by tons of people. And it's just us. We can breathe fresh air. We have oak trees that are hundreds of years old, probably more that are just the most beautiful things you've ever seen. And I know that if something ever really went down, we are safe. It's like a fortress. Wow, yeah. that's so cool. You live in my dream. This was my first step toward getting there, you know, it's like, it's perfect. had to get out of Los Angeles. That was step one. And then we actually tried to find something here on with more land and kind of further out and just only had two weeks to look. And so we ended up here and we're, we're happy, but man, I just, I love hearing about all of that. How did you figure out, do you have like, um, you know, farm hands to help you with the cows and stuff, or are you having to learn all this? Oh, well, it's funny because my wife's family's from Vermont. And they said, okay, we're tired of Vermont, the cold. And they moved to a small fishing town. It's called Inglewood, kind of like Southwest Florida. We went to visit and we're like, we just fell in love. And it's not very rural. 
it's still like somewhat suburban, but has like a laid back vibe. And uh, me and my wife were since we were on vacation, we were like, you know what, let's do a few packages for Element. I had like some of my clients I really wanted to send stuff out to. And we went to the post office and I started a conversation randomly with the woman there. And she told me, yeah, I live about an hour east of here in this farmland area um, called Sebring. And it just, something hit me right then. And I said, give me your realtor's number. I need to know this. So she connected me with this realtor. And one day, random day in Miami Beach, I woke up and I was like, Chris, we got to go look. Chris is my wife. We got to go look for just like our own off-grid type house. I did not know what to expect. I had no idea like if we were going to get a small house, a big house, a lot of land. I just knew I wanted to be able to hunt and have fresh air. You know, city life has a lot of noise. Yeah, I just noticed that going back to the LA uh, for the first time and coming on two years almost. And I was, people asked me how it was. I'm like, it was great to see friends, but man, it was loud, like literally physical noise. You know, it's just oh like, yes, you have that, dude. Oh my god! But just not just the noise, but the energetics of it. That's so, what so I'm what about the to. cows? Like, this is what I'm curious about. How do you learn how to actually work with livestock and stuff? Oh, so I don't personally do like the work with livestock. We have neighbors that like manage these because we go back and forth a lot with my business. Like we have yeah. to travel a good amount. Um, they're in like our massive pasture area and they're pretty self-sufficient as long as they're getting food. They're eating all our grass, pooping everywhere, which is perfect for growing mushrooms. Not like I do that, but... One could if they wanted to. Exactly. And um, farm life is a lot more challenging than you anticipate. I mean, if you want to spend thousands of dollars a month on having other people come in, but there's something so rewarding about getting your hands dirty, which in the rainy season, grass grows very quickly. Every two weeks, you got to mow and imagine 13 acres. Wow. It's brutal. And vines come from all over the place. We have a pond in the back where we fish. And I Can just you eat the fish out of that? Oh, yeah. And oh, I introduced nice. a lot more. Oh, cool. Uh, native species to Florida, just in case of anything. I want to be prepared yeah. for everything. And uh, vines growing literally out of our little pond and in the general area, and they crawl onto your house. And that's the perfect way for spiders to get into your house and huge insects and snakes and everything you can possibly imagine. Wow. You got and alligators and stuff around there? Alligator in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> that came up when I was feeding the fish. Small, wow. but very dangerous. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of wild boar. Is that what you're hunting out there? Uh, deer and wild boar. But oh, okay. I learned very quickly that when you own this type of property, I don't like hunting my property. Oh, okay. I see a fa that, was, that was my dream, to be able to hunt my property, wake up 5 a.m., do what I need to do, harvest the animal, and that's it. But the first time that I saw a family of deer walking by, I like grabbed my wife and I said, look at this. Like it's the most majestic thing. Yeah. I don't even really like calling it my land. It's the land. We're just like inhabiting it right now. Mm -hmm. And when I saw this family, it just, I said, okay, I can't hunt here anymore. If you do that, they're not going to exist anymore in my particular area. So yeah. I travel a little bit throughout Florida, Texas, Tennessee, different places to hunt where we need to hunt. Yeah, I know what you mean. We have a shit ton of deer around this neighborhood and we we love them you yeah. know but i do think sometimes if the proverbial shit hit the fan <laughs> you know i would love them in a different way you know <laughs> i mean i think about that sometimes I'm like what if there's no grocery stores and no one's bringing food you know from online orders or something like that like you're gonna eat something you know 
the but concept of hunting season goes out the window. Yeah, too. yeah. But then I thought about it, and you know, the type of rifle uh, that you'd probably take a deer down with could go through quite a few houses on its way. So right. <laughs> that's a whole other thing. You were mentioning something about. Um, before we go there, actually, um, I really appreciate your your reverence for that. I know hunting in general is very triggering for people, and I grew up with a dad who was a lifelong hunter, and uh, you know, dabbled as a kid in it. But when I moved out here, I went uh, hunting for boar and deer, and I shot a boar. I did an episode about it. We'll link in the show notes. But um, it was it was a profoundly spiritual experience, and really, my motivation for that was to trying to regain my relationship with the natural world and also to reconcile the fact that I do eat meat, um, yet I don't want to have prior, didn't want to have any part in how it's actually produced. It's like I want a nice little clean package at the grocery store and I don't want to go to the slaughterhouse and I don't want to look at all of that. you know. And it was a very intimate, as you well know, uh, very intimate and visceral, tangible experience it wasn't something I necessarily thought, oh, I'm going to pick this up and start hunting all the time. I mean, I would go again. It hasn't, hasn't uh, you know, been available. So I've been busy with other stuff, but um, it did really help me understand the cycle of life in, in a way that no book or interview or anyone else could. You know, there was something really magical about that moment. And I still have a part of that that boar sitting, you know, it's sitting in my freezer in the garage and exactly. it's getting to the point where like, I have to start eating more of it, you know, before it goes bad. And that was my contract with that animal. But it's challenging because I, A, suck at cooking, B, have less than zero interest in learning how to cook. Although the other day, a friend of mine sent me a recipe for the tenderloin and I followed it to the T and it was actually quite delicious. I, I, I managed to do it right. And what did you do? I'm just curious. Uh, uh, seared it. Uh, for a couple, you know, however long in some in some butter in a frying pan and then set the oven for whatever the temperature was, left it in for the exact time. And then I took my first meat thermometer, which I ordered on Amazon. I didn't even know what they were. That's a lifesaver, by the way. But if you yeah. enjoy meat. Well, that's the thing, dude. I got so excited because my tent... And then I, you know, I... I buttered it up in in the um, in the sear with all these herbs, and, right, right. You know, salt and pepper and all that stuff. And then I and then I baked it, checked the temperature till it was just right, took it out, and it was still a little bit pink, and it was really tender and delicious. I got so excited that I cooked up a, a steak at the same time. <laughs> I was like, I don't. If I lose this skill, man, I'm screwed. So like, I did the same thing to the steak, and it came out perfect. Also, so I'm like, holy crap! I finally learned how to cook meat. I got tricks for you with like okay. slow cooking and pressure cooking. This is what I need to know, my friend. That's the trick. Because the rest of that board is is quite tough. Oh, um, it won't matter. Okay. I have all these big shoulders and all these oh, bigger yeah. pieces of meat. And I was a little scared to... There's nothing to sear them in. They're massive. Uh, so anyway, thank you for your your reverence in terms of you know how you approach that. I think it's it's really important for people to understand that many people who hunt regularly are very conscious and also ecologically conscious. My friend Daniel Vitalis has a great podcast and he has people on all the time talking about that. It's called Wild Fed. Um, he's a hunter-gatherer type. And, uh, you know, he, he talks always about the uh, land conservation and the fact that many, if not most, hunters are, are avid environmentalists. You know, I think a lot of people don't see that side of it. They just picture rednecks with a gun rack who are just out right, shooting the shit right. out of everything. You know, there's a lot of people who are doing it very conscientiously. Um, so thank you for that. But no. uh, what I wanted to get to... Well, there's something else about that. Okay. I mean, you mentioned like you wanted to have the experience yeah. itself instead of just 
picking up something from a grocery store. I don't want to go too deep into like hunting per se. Yeah, yeah. But like that was a huge thing for me. And like Terrence McKenna talks about this a lot. He's one of my favorite like philosophers of all time. You always have to do the experience because I can listen to a hundred podcasts. I don't listen to too many, but when I do, I'm learning. I'm reading from books, but like actually doing the experience is the most important thing that a lot of people, it doesn't, it falls on deaf ears these days yeah, because of the internet. So one thing with wild boar, you mentioned wild boar. Um, I don't like calling them a nuisance animal, but they are considered invasive because they yeah. destroy crops in Florida and Texas. Yeah. And uh, I think people, the state of Texas will pay you to yeah. go hunt them here. They used to pay us when I was like back oh. in college. Now you generally pay for it because you're oh, keeping okay. the meat, unless it's wild. But okay. it's hard to find. I mean, they're hard. The thing is, the hunting we do for boar is uh, we use dogs to track them. So I wanted to get like as primal as possible because I think there is a little bit of a disconnect when I have a rifle or a bow from 30 or 50 yards or even 300 yards and you're just seeing something through a scope and then you walk over and the life is gone. I wanted to know like exactly what it feels like. So we found a type of hunting. It's pretty big in Florida. It, people won't mention this online too much, but we use dogs to track them. And then we find the dog and we do it by hand. So I bring a knife with me. Wow. Uh, like a nine inch blade. And <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> this is what I was going to ask you about. I thought you mentioned something about this earlier in, in passing. Yeah. I, I, wow. I wouldn't say I take pride in it, but I think it's important for people to know. Um, we go and once it's the animal's been cornered, we I grab it by hand and put it on its side. It's a very dangerous thing. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, people, I have pictures I could show you, which you don't even want to see. But most of the time, they realize like something's happening and they want to get you. And I like the fact that it's even. A lot of people consider hunting like this cruel thing, like an animal's tied to a tree or it's so far. And if someone's a bad shot, whatever it might be. But with this, I know I'm in almost equal amount of danger as the animal is. Oh, dude, and our hunting trip I did out here um, not with the one that I shot that was a clean shot probably 50-75 yards oh, thankfully. and it, you know everything went well it was a quick and probably shocking but relatively painless death but on the second day uh, <laughs> my friend shot one and just injured it and we were surrounded by a whole bunch of pigs that oh, all yeah. came running at us and luckily many of them were small uh, but yeah I skedaddled the hell out of there yeah. but they meant business think about that yeah. right i mean if someone my, injured your family yeah and my dad was telling me um he's never really been a boar hunter but long time elk and deer and all the things he was telling me that the uh the boars are really dangerous for your dogs because if they gouge your dogs there what are they called tusks or something yeah they're all full of bacteria from them rooting around and stuff and they'll give your dog an infection that is often um Fatal. you know untreatable yeah i've seen guys that have cuts all the way through their arm and apparently you're not supposed to stitch it right then because the bacteria will just go inside you have to drain it for a long time so my wife has like a heart attack every time i'm going boar hunting <laughs> i try to keep it like very minimal yeah you know? but the problem is i'm gonna ask chris about this yeah. like when are you gonna put the kibosh on this you got a kid now never never oh, he's gonna man. come with me the first time i went um the guy I went with brought his four-year-old Wow. Walking. I mean, they grow up doing this. This yeah. is like Native Americans hunting buffalo. We have some of the original cowboys in the United States are buried 
literally a quarter mile down the road, like famous cowboys. And this is what they do in this state. And this is, uh, I mean, it's Florida. It's crazy Florida, you know, but I don't see it as that. And when I put it down by hand, I am there with the animal. Yeah. And if you saw me, it's, it's like a psychedelic experience. It's almost like up there with like the birth of my child. I totally get it. That was, I feel for that animal. Yeah, I totally get that. Um, one interesting thing about the, the sort of stigma against hunting that I've observed is that no one who is vehemently anti-hunting is, seems to be, and I may have just missed them, but they don't seem to be against it if indigenous peoples are doing it. <laughs> like you never hear people yeah. complaining about Native Americans or you know any other tribal peoples around the world, and it's like, how do you guys think we got here? You know what I mean? Right. It's almost like, well, if you're a European and your great 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 grandparents came over here on a boat or wherever they came from, you know, then you're, you know, you're out of bounds. But <laughs> as long as you're where you're from, it's cool. It's just a funny funny thing the way uh, people think I've observed that. But back to this boar hunting by hand and i had no idea we're even to go in this direction but this I, is not a hunting podcast yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the title's gonna say something about cbd and people are gonna be like uh what yeah but no i just I like to get to know you um do you think that you're because i'm imagining myself even getting anywhere near a boar and that's not happening do you think your martial arts training from what i understand you're a pretty accomplished martial artist in various practices do you think that has something to do with why you have the confidence and the ability to do that by hand? It's a great question. I never thought about it like that. Because I'm picturing a jujitsu situation, you know, or some kind of I'm picturing you like an MMA fighter that's like your opponent is that boar when I try to visualize this scenario. A little bit. It's very intense. And that goes into some of like the healing practices I do with a lot of my clients. And I think we need to push the boundaries of like physical intensity and physical challenges i think we need to be very scared sometimes while we're doing things and i'm sure it helps it has to help i'm very physically fit um yeah i could do some damage if i really wanted to i'm like the most peaceful person my wife's like you are so calm but thank god people don't mess with you but actually the guy that taught me about this he's about your height and much skinnier than you he just grew up doing it and everything is a practice right from Whatever you do in life to art, music, making love, hunting, it's all a practice and you can do it so effectively that the animal is not releasing a ton of cortisol. It's happening so quick. And when I use the knife, I try to be like a surgeon. I put it right in the spot, right through the heart as quick as possible in the animal's life as opposed to, I know, like you said, people can shoot an animal and harm it very quickly. Um, the thing she probably doesn't like is the smaller animals and the females, which generally tend to taste better. I don't hunt those. I always have to hunt like the biggest male there is. I don't know what it is. Something inside me, I would just, I couldn't do it. So I pick like the biggest male when we're tracking them. And uh, yeah, it, it's very dangerous. The last one I took was only like 200 pounds, but the one that I caught for our wedding, actually we served it at our wedding, that was about 300 pounds. I mean, oh, my God. Dude. I'm like 175. Oh, my God. So it's wild. You know, you have to have very clean technique. And I think the intent is there. You know, yeah. I call upon my ancestors of generations knowing that they had to do things like this. They didn't have the convenience of a grocery store. 
So it's all a very sacred and spiritual experience for me. Yeah, respect. Thank you for thank you for sharing that. I think another thing, I just think about things from all angles. It's the way my brain works, you know, because I I find it healthier to not be polarized and get too attached to any rigid oh, idea sure. about anything. You know, I just always like to keep my mind flexible. So I, I listen to all sides of things when there's contention. Um, one thing I've observed too is that when it comes to man hunting animal, whether that be bow, how you're doing it, knife or with a firearm, even in the worst case scenario where an animal is injured and not killed, I mean, I think the worst is if they're badly injured and they they get away, right, and they're going to suffer, is probably still less brutal for that for that animal than getting taken down by a predator. So you're taking down a, a, a boar with a knife and your bare hands. I'm imagining in most cases is actually causing less suffering in that boar than a mountain lion or a whole pack of oh mountain lions taking that boar. You know, when you watch Jumping these... Jumping on its back or neck. Yeah, when you watch these shows in the Sahara, you know, these nature shows, I, I always... I've observed too in myself, I'm always for the gazelle. Of course. Never the lion, you know? But then I've thought about it. I thought, well, that lion's really hungry and has a bunch of hungry cubs, so why am I always for the gazelle? But anyway, when you watch that, I mean, death by nature is freaking torturous and brutal and never quick and clean. You watch that, you know that site on Instagram, Nature is Metal? Yeah. I mean, everyone does. (laughs) But yeah, death shouldn't be looked at as like this horrible thing. Maybe the excess suffering aspect, but, and they don't discriminate. A lion, a jaguar, they don't discriminate what size the animal is, you know? Yeah. It's wild. As long as the mom, I think, can take care of the baby still. And I've seen that before. Like people hunt the the females. I don't do it. I just think I'm letting them procreate more and do what they need to do. Yeah. Perhaps now, more than ever, humanity is under an incredible amount of stress. Hell, even when the world's not this insane, normal life can be stressful. And aside from just being uncomfortable, stress can take a toll on your body, raising your blood pressure, making it harder to sleep, draining you of vital energy, and making you more irritable. That's why I strongly recommend that you supplement with magnesium daily. A shocking 75% of people are magnesium deficient. That number might be even higher among business owners and C-level professionals. That's because stress depletes magnesium levels. And this can, of course, trigger a vicious cycle of rising stress and severe magnesium deficiency. This magnesium stuff is so important that it's involved in over 300 chemical processes inside your body. It's a critical mineral. Having enough magnesium can give you better sleep, more energy, healthy blood pressure, less irritability, a calmer mood, stronger bones, reduced muscle cramping, and even fewer migraines. Sounds awesome, right? Well, to experience these health benefits, you have to get the right kinds of magnesium, and most synthetic magnesium supplements just don't cut it. That's why I recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic, full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress relief and better sleep all in one bottle. This stuff's incredible, and I actually took one this morning before I left the house. I was thinking about that as I record these ads. I'm like, okay, when did I use it last? Yep, it was today and almost every day. So for an exclusive offer for you Lifestylist Podcast listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com slash Luke and use the code Luke10 at checkout to save 10% off and get free shipping. That's magbreakthrough.com slash Luke and use the code Luke10. 
Uh, so take me back into your past a little bit. So I mentioned the martial arts. It seems like that's been a huge part of your journey. I also know that in your past you had some struggles with addiction. Maybe take us to the intersection of of those two and how they meet or if they meet. Um, yeah, I grew up in Miami, and um, there were laws at the time for like integrating every school. It was called thirty thirty thirty, which meant every school had to be thirty percent white, thirty percent Hispanic, thirty percent black. So you can grow up in a great neighborhood a horrible neighborhood, and you would have a combination of all people, at least when I was growing up. So a lot of the schools that had a lot of bad kids, the principals, the teachers, I guess they decided, let's send the worst kids to the nicer areas, which sounds pretty crazy, you know? I mean, I guess they wanted to get rid of the troublemakers from their school. It's understandable. But I just remember like growing up and having to hide money in my socks, because I'd go to middle school and my pockets would get emptied all the time. I was a tiny little kid that just listened to heavy metal, just reading comic books. And there were literally gangs in middle school. And they would beat the crap out of me for being a little white boy. Even though I'm not white, my dad was born in Cuba. But I look like it when you're in Miami. And every day was a fight. I remember just... Were you ever screaming like, yo, yo, I'm not white? No, you couldn't scream when you're getting kicked in the head. I'd be wearing you know? a Cuban flag t-shirt. Yeah, right? like, oh. yeah I, it, it was wild. It was just like a different upbringing. And I told people this stuff and they would like not believe me. You know, there was like a day. It was actually called Cracker Day in Florida. I thought like everyone knew about this. And it was like, if you were white, you just got beat up. I used to have my face, like in elementary school, actually. You know the water fountains? A friend of mine, even, he went on to play professional football. Big dude. He's like 300-something pounds playing ball. Back then, he was two-something. I must have been like 80. Picked, grabbed my head and smashed into the water fountain. I was just on the ground bleeding. No teachers around, nothing. I just remember like extreme violence all the time. And I thought, wow. this is just like what happened. you know. And it wasn't like a, a purely race thing. People just loved fighting. It's wild because now I see way less racism because of like the blend of music, the blend like social media allows everyone to sort of like come together. It's created a more peaceful society, not online. Like in schools, there's less gangs, at least from what I've experienced in Miami. They don't put up with stuff like that. But violence was like a huge thing. So my parents put me into martial arts at a young age. I guess they figured I needed some discipline. And... I trained a good amount, but um, how that coincided with drugs, I, I couldn't really tell you. Drugs is also a huge thing growing up in a big city. So I think just fighting in drugs was what I thought was interesting at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought this was normal. It's so I would funny. agree with half of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you, I mean, do you think you got into, I mean, a lot of kids experiment with drugs and many of them get over it and they go off to college and live their life and then others like myself um got completely swallowed up in in the culture and in the use of drugs mine was now looking back a very clear response to trauma that i experienced as a kid do you think all of this violence and stuff was part of your kind of trauma story that led you into problems with drugs later no i actually don't think so i think what happened was you're fed so much in miami about like dare don't do drugs pot's horrible. This is horrible. I remember my parents telling me that. And it's funny because my parents like were in the 60s partying. My dad had a huge afro and was like 
a big pot dealer, I found out later on. Oh, really? Yeah, and all <laughs> this. And when they're telling you, don't do drugs, don't do drugs, don't do drugs. And like the only group that kind of took me in, like back in those days, middle school, high school, early on, they were like smoking weed, but it was like the worst weed ever. It was literally like sticks and stems. I remember that. And I smoked and I'm like, this is not what everyone told me. I'm not going to hell. I'm not going to die. And once you start doing that, you're like, oh, what's the next thing? And there just happened to be like a great psychedelic renaissance at the time. So things like LSD and mushrooms and all this was so widely available. So I was like, oh, let's try the next thing. Let's try the next thing. And I'm not dying. I'm not getting sick. So it was a lot about like mental exploration, just seeing like if I'm being lied to about drug use being like this horrible thing, because I didn't experience at this time opioids and heroin and crack and all that. It was more just, I guess what people consider like fun drugs. Um, Heroin's like, fun. Like the first, oh, it's super the fun. first three or four times, <laughs> or maybe the first month, depending on how yeah, how hard you we're go. not withdrawing, you know. Yeah. But yeah, it's just that I'm I'm grateful for that too because it introduced me to psychedelics at a very young age. I didn't do it like in a ritual way, but I did have like a sacred connection to them. But no, I don't think there was like a connection with the violence. I just wanted to explore. We always just wanted to push the boundaries of what was extreme and just discover new things. Did you end up having problems with the with the harder street drugs and stuff later, or was it just kind of a phase and you naturally gravitated? Did you ever have to go to treatment or have like a a hard stop sobriety in there? Oh yeah, I um, oxycodone got really big in South Florida. That was uh, like when Oxycontin 180s and 80 or 160s and 80 milligrams came out. I was, that was after my time, but yeah, I've heard of it. <laughs> I mean, this is like the equivalent of like 64 Percocets in a tiny pill. Wow. The tiniest pill, and they didn't warn anyone. And I had gotten like a, I had a martial arts injury. I remember my foot just like swole up. I was sparring and whatever. I took a kick. My foot swole up to like being a football. And I had a crack in my spine. I was the captain of the rowing team. And rowing is very detrimental to your spine and your low back. So I was a great athlete, even though I partied, you know, I was into fighting and martial arts. But I had these injuries that as I started like getting into college, I was getting prescribed pills and getting these pills. And I'm like, oh, my pain's gone. That was like such a weird thing for me because I would go to class and I wasn't high like I'm on pot or mushrooms. I'm enjoying myself. I'm not in pain and I'm sitting there. I'm paying greater attention to the instructor or the teacher the professor, then if I was sober, I was like, this is great. I'm fine. Whenever I want, I'll just stop taking it. And I remember one day I like didn't take as much. And I went to class. I was at the University of Florida. And I started just feeling that, you know, that little itch. I'm like, oh, it feels like my back hurts a little. I'm like, oh, I got the sniffles now. Oh, I'm kind of tired. And I'm on the phone with my mom when I get home. And I told her, she goes, oh yeah, you probably have like the flu or something like that. Maybe a cold. And he said, oh, just hold on a minute. Let me take some of my medicine. And I'm on the phone with her. And it was like 30 minutes later. I'm like, Whoop! symptoms gone. No pain. Pure happy. I'm talking to her. I'm like, hey, how's it going? You know how it is. And she goes, oh, you sound much better. What happened? I said, oh, I just took my medicine. She goes, yeah, that's called addiction. I go, no, 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 no. These are pills from the doctor. <laughs> I'm not snorting lines. I'm not like shooting dope or anything crazy. And she goes, no, you don't understand. And it was like, wow, I remember this like moment. And I just played on and off with like Oxycontin for a while. 
And then in college, people started discovering you could smoke it. And it became like a communal thing, like a party thing. And then eventually people started injecting it. And it was so easy to get because in South Florida, there were these pill mills. And it's a pretty famous story now because there would be like a clinic that opens up and the pharmacy right next to it. So they would prescribe these like 200 pills of 80 milligrams to like an elderly lady who's on Medicare or Medicaid, I forget. And um, she would fill it right next door, just walk over to somebody and they would pay like $10,000 for this little bottle of pills and she had $10,000 and she didn't have to do anything. And it spread like wildfire. Wow, wow. I remember there was teachers like in schools, like my school, like, they would like want some of it. It was like very popular at the time. You just didn't know how it did. You just reminded me of one point in, uh, in LA, I heard about a doctor who was like shady and it was some kind of sort of quotes chiropractic clinic oh, yeah. it was like a pain management yeah pain, pain management. management that's it yeah yeah and a friend of mine told me about no oh, man you go there and just say your back hurts and they'll write you a script for whatever you want and exactly. i remember going in and it was like fill out some fake ass questionnaire he's sitting there totally not present oh yeah what's got wrong you're like oh well and i actually did have back pain but then he and then he put you like in the chiropractic adjustment chair and kind of cracked your back <laughs> and then sent you off with your script. I totally oh, forgot man. about that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was the start of it. But there'd be all me. these, you know, suspect characters in the waiting room. There was no little ladies or anyone actually needing the medication. It was like a bunch of junkies. And they would have like folders of all their injuries. It was so funny. It was such a scam. Yeah. I never actually went to those. I would just get pills from people and... So how did you end up, uh, did, did, did this hit a, a critical mass point where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to clean up my act or was it just something you phased out of or what? No, there's no phasing out of yeah. uh, like hardcore Oxycontin and heroin use. And then you start integrating cocaine to stay awake and it just becomes like this mess. And it was uh, a long time that I was doing it and you keep up a front for a while. I was still working out. I was in great shape because there's somewhat functional drugs at the beginning for the first year or two. And eventually I just dealt with the withdrawal and it was horrible. And you read online and the internet wasn't what it is today. It was like 2003-ish. And they would say, withdrawing last 72 hours, the sickness. I'm like, all right, I can tough it out. The dope sickness will be over in 72 hours. Then it's over. But they don't tell you about the depression. Oh, man. They don't tell you about the years and months that you're not evolving as a person. You're not understanding what, your emotional capabilities are and how to deal with them. That is like the worst part of alcoholism, everything. Any drug that's abused, people don't understand you're not maturing in that time. And I just, I had to figure something out. I was so tense all the time. And I was so just, I felt the stress in my chest. We always call it like junkies, call it a monkey on your back. It's always calling. There's this like little demon on your shoulder. Oh, you're having a bad day. Just get one pill. Or a big-ass gorilla. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> a gorilla. And we romanticize it. Like yeah. how movies, you know, it's funny. They show someone at a bar taking shots, and you're like, oh, that's so beautiful. Or some guy sitting with cognac in his den with a fireplace listening to classical music. I tell my wife that all the time. I'm like, it looks so beautiful. It's so artistic. And I'm like, I would never do it. I mean, that just sucks. Why would I sit there by myself <laughs> drinking? But... Yeah, I, I was looking, like, I need to find something. And I found a course called Taming the Anxious Mind at the University of Florida. And it was based on, uh, I believe he was a doctor, John Kabat-Zinn. He wrote oh, yeah. a book, famous yeah. book, Wherever You Go, There You Are. And I was like, you know, I remember taking psychedelics. Like there was some kind of connection. 
the feeling, the sensation I had, the connection to what that book told me. And there was quotes in it from uh, Thoreau, like famous artists, like American uh, art authors, sorry. And I'm reading it and it's just like having such a profound effect on me. Everything, it just, I felt this like sacredness about it. You know, there's like a sacredness about drug use because it makes you feel so beautiful. You know, heroin, whatever it is. The second you get in your hand, you do it and that feeling comes over you. But it's an artificial feeling. So when you do something outside of those drugs and you taste like the divine, you know, where you sense like the divinity inside of you, you're like, I need to continue down this course. So it was a meditation class. It was very basic. It was mindfulness meditation. We did little 20-minute bouts and we read from a book and it just, it blew me away. It like, it cleared my mind. When I was so stressed out, I would use the meditative techniques. And it wasn't just sitting on a cushion. That was great. But there was walking meditation, which blew me away. Now I'm seeing people like uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about walking meditation. Uh, Famous spiritual gurus talk about these things, how important it is to walk into your neighborhood and create your day. I didn't know about this 20-something, yeah, 20 years ago. And I would just do this, walking through my neighborhood. Everything became a meditation to me. I remember one time I was driving back home to Miami and I said, I'm going to breathe and I'm going to count every single breath. It's a six hour drive. And I counted every breath and it was 1,206. And when I got home, I saw my parents and I was like, hey, and they go, you okay? Are you on drugs again? I said, no, no, I just counted my breaths. And they're like, from where? I said, from Gainesville. They're like, huh, you're on drugs, aren't you? <laughs> I was like, no, 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 no. And they realized like how important meditation was to me they would like see me and they're like, this guy like doesn't crave drugs anymore. And the funny thing was the course ran out. It was a three month course. So I went to the, uh, the instructor and I said, yeah, I, what's the next one? He goes, there is no next one. I'm like you're done. I said, well, please let me come back, please. And he let me come back. And after the first week, he says, do you want to help teach the course? Because I can see it like really resonates with you. And I said, sure. You know, I, I didn't know how to, I was like 20 years old. I can't even remember how old I was. That was a past life. And um, we did the course. I taught and I said, now what? And he goes, keep going with your practice, figure something out. And I just searched and searched. And like I said, the internet was not an easy place to navigate back then. Now it's you Google and all this. Back then, I forget what it was, Alta Vista or who knows. And I came across a Zen Buddhist meditation center. I'm like, that sounds cool. Zen Buddhism. I had no idea what it was. And I walked in and I'm greeted by the abbot of the meditation center, a guy in this, uh, you know, like these traditional robes and he has a country accent because Gainesville's kind of country. He's like, Hey, you want to meditate? I'm like, hell yeah, bro. Let's do, you know? <laughs> I'm playing the part and he brings me inside. I just sense like a serenity to the place. And there was a bunch of people there of like all walks of life. And I'm like, where are we going to do this? Like, it's a cool little house. And there's like a, like a stair that comes down so you can go into the attic. And I walk up into the attic and it was like, a Buddhist monastery. I'm like, I don't understand how this is in here. It's like a small building, but it felt like what you see in movies. And it just, it overtook me. I felt so just amazing. We would meditate with them an hour every night. And I would do it an hour on my own in the morning. And I don't think everyone needs to do this, but at the time when I was getting sober, I think it was very important. And I just continued that path. 
the Zen Buddhist meditation was really cool. There's a lot of books. And it just made me realize that meditation doesn't have boundaries. It doesn't have to have a label like Zen Buddhism. There's a million types. Kundalini meditation. Every type of meditation. Everything you do is a meditation. I think that's a really important distinction there is with something like meditation or even prayer. You know, the point of it, at least as I've uncovered it, is how do we actually make that our day-to-day life, right? Like you said, I love that, how you're driving a car, you're walking around the neighborhood. Like having this conversation here is a meditation. If I allow myself enough presence to be aware of my body and my breathing and of you and your words and my words and just slowing everything down. But I found that to be really difficult without first learning how to do it by just sitting in a chair. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But then, you know, or say you have uh, moments where you connect with your higher power, God, the divine, right. And, you know, you're asking for something you want or you, you need help. There's like a petitionary relationship there. Right. And then at a certain point, as you start to get better, there's, there's more gratitude and hopefully, you know, thanks being offered. But I started to see how in my early journey, I was sort of compartmentalizing those things like, oh, I'm going to go do my meditation now. Then I have this prayer time to set aside time at a specific place in the house, an altar or something like that. And then I started hearing teachers talking about making your life a prayer, making your entire day one meditation. And that got really interesting to me. That to me is a lot more fun <laughs> and effective because it's, you know, you mentioned a practice earlier, right? It's like, well, anytime that I start to feel anxiety or dis-ease of any kind, it's usually just because I've stopped doing that, right? I'm, I'm, I've lost my presence of mind and body and I stopped the prayer, you know? So it's like a game for me. How, how long during my day can I actually keep that contemplative, meditative, still place especially when I'm doing something and I'm very busy, you know, like, can I be working out or running around the house or doing a podcast or whatever it is and still be in a meditation, still be in a communion of prayer. I'm always so interested in people in someone like you that has a following and a social media presence, like how you keep that up. Actually, for me, I don't go online very much. I will post once in a while and I say, okay, that's, that's great. That's Does good. someone run your element uh, social uh, for you? Yeah, it was actually oh, a client cool. I became great friends with, uh, sort of a medita- like an instructor too, a little bit of a mentor. I don't like calling myself a mentor, yeah. but he'll run my page once in a while. Sometimes I post. I try to make it as authentic as possible. I found that when I did hire people, it didn't speak for me. Yeah. And sure, your social media, you're trying to build a business, but I don't try to... That's what I think differentiates like my company from so many other companies, like the intent behind it. And it's funny, you were mentioning prayer, just a little side note. They told me one thing, like meditation is listening to God and prayer is speaking to God. I'm sure you've heard this Mm -hmm. many times. And those boundaries sort of dissolve a bit when you really get deep into meditation. It almost all goes hand in hand because there's no more labels anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially with psychedelics. That's yeah. <laughs> something I would love to like eventually get into. Yeah, we, we will. Yeah. It, yeah. Labeling things just like, you know, it uh, creates more structure and the world is chaos sometimes and we have to embrace everything. I also find that um, when there's, and not that there's anything wrong with the set aside time to meditate or prayer, obviously, or pray, obviously, but I find that my interest in it continues to grow because then it's like a, 
it's a self challenge, you know, like how can I actually integrate this into my life? And rather than just taking a moment aside and thanking God for the abundance that I have in my life and all the lovely people and success and all the things, what if I just can actually carry that feeling of gratitude in my heart all the time? you know, in every interaction. And I find that like, the more I do that, surprise, you know, my life gets better and better because then my perception of my experience of reality starts to shift and then it shifts quicker and quicker and quicker, especially in a moment of conflict or doubt. I mean, life is fucking hard, especially if you're on a, a committed spiritual path. I think, I don't know if there's anything harder than that, you know, because you're, you're then given all these ample opportunities to up level right it's like if you don't pay any attention to that you kind of just get caught in the 3d and life has its own struggles but when when at least for me when i see everything as an opportunity for my own evolution then consciousness itself goes oh you want more okay boom here let's see what we can handle you know so i just find i would be insane if i wasn't (laughs) making a continuous consistent effort to bring that into my you know my day-to-day experience and I think the daily meditation is a requirement. I mean, I sit on the cushion every morning. I have like a very distinct routine with gratitude. I have to do that because yeah. you do need a basis. Yeah, it sets the tone. And they, I mean, <laughs> yeah, totally. If I wake up, it's so easy. I mean, I don't turn on the phone. I, I'm in airplane mode like as much as possible. Yeah, but. When I wake up, the phone, I don't check the phone for as long as possible, unless something really important is going on with my son or family or business. But you, I think the cushion is so important for everyone. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Being the health nut that I am, I've been doing lab work and doing my best to improve my biomarkers for years. But I have to admit, it's been expensive and often confusing without the support I need to implement the changes needed to get optimized. Getting lab results is one thing, but what's often missing is personalized recommendations. That's why I was so stoked to find Inside Tracker. They do DNA, blood, and fitness tracking in real time. Inside Tracker is the only human performance system that integrates real time physiomarker data from your fitness tracker with your existing blood and DNA biomarker data. So once you sign up and get your testing done, you track your progress and adjust based on real time feedback from your own body. As your body improves, your blood biomarkers change too. So you retest every three months to see what's working and what's not, and then adjust your goals to develop a new action plan. It's incredibly simple and very effective. If you want to take your performance to the next level, go to insidetracker.com Luke, where you will save 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Again, visit insidetracker.com Luke. So at what point in your journey did you discover CBD? You have this great company, Element, now. For those watching the video, we have some of it here. I have this stuff all over the house. Um, And by the way, shout out to my friend Khalil, who texted me one day and he said, oh, my my buddy Adam has this great CBD. And to be honest, I I, I trust Khalil's judgment on these things. He's very discerning when it comes to products, as I am. But I'm kind of like, dude. I already, you know, I got my Ned CBD. I got, yeah. on, I got a couple great brands already in the house, and I was like, you know, I appreciate it, but like <laughs> CBD, yeah. Kinda, yeah, it's, it's you the know, wild west. Yeah, it's and like, people send me CBD products all the time, for which I'm very grateful. But I'm kind of like, dude, there's 
I got cabinets full of this stuff. And he goes, no, 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 it's really special. It's different. It's really strong. Try the gummies. They're the best I've tried. Anyway, he went on and on. So thanks to Khalil from yeah. Sun Life Organics. Let me uh, tell for, you about for introducing. Khalil. Let me tell you some synchronicity about Khalil. Because okay. he holds like this place in my heart that's amazing. He, it's so funny because he was featured on the cover of like the New York Times. Uh, I forget when it was, 2007, 2008, or maybe it was one section of the New York Times, how there was a guy that was an ex-junkie living under a bridge showing pictures of being on meth and crack and all these different things. And now he bought a, uh, what is it? It was a, a treatment center. Oh, yeah, like a sober living. Right, yeah, and yeah. then he created Sun Life Organics, this amazingly popular company. And at the time, I was... I sober for just a few years i believe and i was doing i was a strength and conditioning coach i studied like applied physiology i was not a wellness coach yet but i was very focused on the physical aspect because i was always an athlete and i was personal training and i come from like a household where my parents like always expected more you got to be a doctor a lawyer an accountant something like high in their mind what was like more respectable than just being a personal trainer and I always listened to them, though. I, like, had a great place in my heart for my father. We had such a deep connection, like, such a loving person. And he brings me a newspaper one day, and it was the New York Times with Khalil. And I was like, oh, this is an interesting story, but this is not my path. My path is fitness. I appreciate you sending it to me. I, I don't even think I read the whole article. So fast forward to when Element's growing. I believe it was 2000. 2020 actually because my father had just passed and i get an email and i look at the email address and it says khalil rafati and i'm like i know this name somehow i know this so i look in my google account and i type khalil rafati and boom it's an email from my dad and my dad had just passed recently so it was uh it was an intense moment for me. Like it, it's always intense when something from like a loved one comes up that is passed on to the next stage. And I, it says, read this article from Khalil. And he was just talking about Khalil. He was trying to motivate me that he thought I could do grander things in life. And I just like broke down in tears. Like some guys contacting me that my dad told me about. And there was such a synchronicity there. So I wrote Khalil right away. And I'm not a guy that like, holds his tongue in any way, shape, or form. And I said, you have no idea, bro. Like, if he was in person, I would have grabbed him and, like, thrown him in the air. It was, it was just the coolest experience. And this was after I had done a good amount of ayahuasca, a good amount of psychedelics, and I know everything is interconnected. And I had a deep meditation practice at that point, and I just knew that, I don't know if I created it or the universe was conspiring to bring him into my life. And we just connected at that point being an ex-junkie, he was an ex-junkie, and he was like, I love your products. They're just like mind-blowing. I have so much CBD, I'm just throwing it all out. I want to buy yours. And he'd be, we ended up like carrying it in his stores, and it was just such a cool story for me. And then he told me about you. Actually, someone told me about you at Paleo FX, and I mentioned it to Khalil, and he's like, that's one of my closer friends in Austin. <laughs> I'm like, oh, the world is just... That's great. It was beautiful. Yeah, I didn't know the backstory there. Thanks for sharing yeah. that. So at what point uh, in your journey did you find the CBD out there, and what motivated you to actually build a company around it? Uh, 2016, I believe. CBD was still illegal federally, but there was a lot of big companies. The big companies in CBD get away with whatever they want. 
I don't know how it works. They just, I guess they make enough money and they're paying the right people. So there was like three or four large companies at that time. And I was using the products from one company. I won't name it. And I found like it was tremendous. Like I would work 10 hour shifts teaching fitness. And I was just loving it. I was just a pure athlete training 10 times a day. And towards the end of the day, there's this, like we talked about noise, just talking to people, conversing with people all day long. You feel that noise, you know, it's like a pressure on your body and it's not a negative thing. It's just like a tension it puts on your body, your mind. You don't think as clearly you start doing things a little bit quicker. I think social media kind of contributes to that a lot. And I started using CBD and noticed, wow, like, I am calm. There was days where I was only working till 6 p.m. And I get a call from Chris and I look at my phone and it's seven. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? She goes, where are you? Work got out at six. I'm like, I'm just talking to clients. And I'm training people. Yeah, I got to get home. I was just so at peace. I felt balanced. I was already feeling great, but it, it took that edge off when I was kind of burning the candle at both ends. So I'm using these products and it was great. And then I remember ordering this bottle and trying it and I'm like, oh, I didn't sleep as well. Oh, I still feel the It's just not working. And I go, oh, like all compounds, they stop working over time. And I started doing research and there wasn't that much research on CBD. There was a few studies at the, that time, but there wasn't a lot of anecdotal evidence because not that many people were using it. They were, but it was under the radar. And people told me, no, the more you use it, the more effective it becomes because it has to do more with your endocannabinoid system. It does affect serotonin receptor. It affects so many different aspects of our human existence and our bodily systems. But in terms of the endocannabinoid system, it keeps it optimized. You should be continuing to feel these effects in the sense that CBD isn't a compound that's like a drug or a Band-Aid. It's a nutrient to me. It's like taking fish oil. This is something that comes from the earth and we're supposed to take it. And the way we produce it, and a lot of good companies produce it, there's no binders and fillers. There's no like excess crap thrown in. So I'm doing research and I call the company. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's not working very well. And they said, oh, maybe you're not taking as much. And I said, well, anything changed? Go, oh, well, we did move to Colorado. Like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to have some right now. Yeah, I'll take some too. <laughs> you got me thinking about it. I was like, yeah, that was a few hours ago. I had some. I need to keep my endocannabinoid yeah. system fortified. <laughs> Once a day for me, I think as long as you're taking it five days a week, you're keeping it going. And it was weird. I spoke to them. They said, oh, yeah, we moved our farms to Colorado. I didn't know their operation, but I ended up finding out that they were hiring. They were growing so fast. They were hiring a lot of cheap labor. And as companies grow, they just become a little bit disingenuous with the way they're doing things. This is just uh, how things work. When people grow, they try to cut corners. So anyhow, I started realizing, wow, they're not taking care of the soil the same way. When you're mass producing it, how much intent is in each plant? There's a big energetic world beyond what we see. Someone like you understands this. And... I realized that the quality of their product was going down. So I like looked in some other companies and everyone was moving to Colorado and California. And I just couldn't keep up with the standards. And I just realized it's not working as effectively. I could keep taking higher doses, but ex-junkies, we know we don't want to do that. We want to take the minimal amount. I mean, I have customers that I tell them on the bottle, it says take three drops. The minimal amount, you might respond incredibly. I have people that take one drop because two is too much. Some people are just more in tune with their body. Other people, 
have a higher tolerance. So anyhow, I told Kristen, I said, like, we need to start like getting into this. We know a lot of farmers in different states. She comes from a family that was surrounded by farmers in Vermont. I knew a lot of like family members of mine in Kentucky, in Nebraska, and they were growing a lot of crops. Some were even growing hemp. And I said, do you guys do like CBD? And they're like, well, no, not yet, but we do have hemp plants. And I said, I think we may have something here. And I started doing a lot of research into hemp. What, what's happening now is most people are producing cannabis, high THC cannabis, and everything's becoming like genetically modified now for CBD to have lower THC, higher CBD. And I'm like, man, this, there's a lot of science in here, which is great. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like we have to get back to our roots. So with a lot of research, I discovered this old strain. It's an old industrial strain of hemp that was brought here. I can't, I can't even remember the year, 200, 300 years. It was like in the 1800s, actually. So 200 years. And they started growing it. And we got like good extraction teams involved. And this was very early on. It was hard to get this stuff because it wasn't federally like legal at this point. Certain states like Kentucky, they had been doing uh, research with the U.S. Department of Agriculture for a long time. Cannabis finally was becoming legal in Vermont. So we finally had like a gateway to open up this like realm of CBD. And it was a lot of like R&D. There was a lot of like extracting with ethanol at first and then no solvents. And then we would test and see that there's nothing, no residual solvents. And we just started making this like really dark, dark CBD. It's called crude. And we would do testing and it showed like all the numbers were perfect. It's all within the federal guidelines of being under 0.3%. But we were able to push the dosage of milligrams of CBD really high. We were able to get like 100 milligrams in some of our grows with less than 0.3% THC, which is like mind-blowing. Most companies, just to give you an example, 25 milligrams, 50 milligrams per milliliter. That's a full dropper is a milliliter. Ours, the maximum strength, is at 80. That's like it'll never go below 80. That's the minimum. When I test, it needs to be at 80. Sometimes it might be a tiny bit more. That's how it works with natural compounds. I'm not going to be able to take out one milligram. But when we were using it, we're like, this is next level shit. We're producing very small batches. We were like a little liter at a time. Because it was just for me. It was for Kristen. My dad, when he finally came out, like, yeah, I love pot. And he was retired. <laughs> I would give him CBD. Got my mom on, got everyone on, all our friends and family, people with like in their 70s with knee pain. And they're like, I just take a little bit of your CBD. I have no knee pain. I don't need surgery. People with massive anxiety, just like our little group of friends. And then they would tell people, and I'm getting like phone calls like, hey, I want some of your CBD. Like, we didn't have labels. I'm a personal trainer at the time. I'm like, oh, let me find a label store. Let me order some bottles on Amazon. I mean, this is like real grassroots shit. This is not like I'm buying a company or like uh, having a meeting with someone on how to build a company. I had never done this before. I'd sold plenty of drugs. I was an expert in selling people the drugs they needed. And I was, I guess, a biohacker a long time ago. I was super fascinated with the human body, went to school for it. I took everything under the sun. That to me was like the coolest thing. And everything's available in Florida. A lot of recreational drugs, but sometimes they're made, they're sold by doctors or in GNC, everything from GHB to everything you could possibly imagine. And I just, 
I was very well versed in these things. So once we got to CBD and I started seeing like the legality was going in the way where it was going to become legal on a federal level, I said, all right, let's start making labels. And I started hiring people. And I didn't have much money at the time. I was spending like my paychecks from my personal training gigs, sending them to designers. And she just trusted in me, my wife at the time. We were both working together in the same holistic resort. And she just always had faith in me. She said, like, whatever you do, I don't know what it is, your meditation, it always becomes successful. You train someone because they have pain, they're no longer in pain. We're around in big cities, a lot of shysters. You know, a lot of people that just want to make a quick dollar. And I just, that wasn't the biggest thing to me. I just always wanted to heal people. I knew what true suffering was when you go through the depths of withdrawal. When you experience death of friends, of family, from drugs and violence, you understand like the pain people have. And nowadays people have so much anxiety and so much depression. And it'd be so easy to be like, oh, well, you know, I have a great life. Let me walk away. But instead, like I talk to them and I feel what they're telling me, you know, and they feel bad. They say, I don't want to talk to you about this anymore. I said, no, 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 talk to me. Like, tell me, I can take it. I have broad shoulders and I know we'll get you through this. And CBD, it just became like a vessel for me to kind of tone down the noise for people and help people achieve balance so we could do way deeper healing. So yeah, like I started with basic labels, two products, a more mild one and then a stronger one. And I noticed that people don't always like taking drops. Drops are great. To me, it's the best thing because you can put it under your tongue. You leave it there for a minute. It's more absorption that way, sublingual. But I realized like the older population didn't like that. It's a little harder to measure your dose. Even though the good thing about CBD, there's no overdosing. You might take two droppers and you can still go about your day. You might be really relaxed, but it's not going to be like you took Xanax and you're on the floor drooling. So I, I tested your threshold a couple of nights oh, ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I came... Because I want to see, can you overdose on it? But I had flown back from a, a trip and um, I real, I just was like, I need catch-up sleep. I need a good solid night's sleep. I'm not screwing around. And I've probably before with your stuff, I don't know, taken maybe three droppers full or something, which is probably 10 times the normal dose or something. But uh, it's definitely not three drops. I think I did like maybe six or eight, you know? And uh, I slept for... <laughs> I think I got to check my aura ring. I think it was like 12 and a half hours. And then it was like nine and a half of that was actual sleep. Just as an experiment. And I, f I felt a little groggy in the morning. I'll course, be honest. Yeah. That, was, that was a lot. Um, but I slept great. And I felt like all of the inflammation and just kind of the bugs, not bugs like a, a virus or something, but just the bugs from flying, man. Just, you know, the bugs in my system energetically were just reset. And I felt amazing. Now, I wouldn't recommend that people do that much. It was just kind of, Let's see what happens thing. And now I know what happens. You sleep hella long and, yeah. and very deep. And the next morning, you're not going to be full of energy, you know. But, but you that had was, an aura ring or a whoop device to track that it. That aura right? ring, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was so curious. Because I slept until like noon. And I usually wake up and watch the sunrise at right now, this time of year, at 7 a.m. And my wife kept coming in and I'd kind of see her and it's like, oh, I'm still tired. And I just kept doing that. Next thing you know, I think it was like 12.30 when I finally got up out of bed, which is like, totally bizarre for me super rare maybe you needed it right well i did and yeah. i knew i needed it that's why i planned that you know i'm like i want to go hard tonight and just like sleep a ridiculous amount of hours and get get caught up it's amazing you mentioned bugs though because like the new studies show how it inhibits viral replicate replication really I, 
Oh my gosh. I got to send you all the newest studies. I mean, boosting your immune system. They say it was actually, I didn't ever got COVID. My wife got it back in December of 2019 before we knew it was COVID. We're at an Asian massage parlor in Miami, which is like a family Asian massage parlor. It's not what most people think. And her massage therapist, we always get couples massage and she is like hawking up a lung. She's from China. And she like had to leave and go to the bathroom, coughing up a lung. She's like, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. We're like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. And a few days later, my wife was in bed, like hawking up a lung, coughing. She couldn't taste anything. It was definitely COVID, probably before Delta strain. The OG strain. OG. She's like, we met patient zero in the US. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I just sat next to her. I just don't believe anything's going to affect me. I think I can drink gasoline and I'm going to be stronger in the morning. I, I really believe like your intent and maybe not gasoline, but I would do it. Anyhow, I'm laying down next to her. I mean, I never got sick. She was coughing on me. We kissed plenty. And she recovered much quicker. I mean, it was a few weeks, but she was functioning the whole time. A lot of people I know at that time, like I started getting it, were down for the count. She was still like working out with me. We still had like a very healthy routine, but it's amazing for what it does for your immune system. Wow, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, I'm going to send the studies. We were hesitant a while ago to talk about it. We knew this was true, but when the yeah. actual studies came out, now we talk about it. That's cool. So when it comes to this uh, strain that came over in the 1800s, is that still the one you're using? Yeah. And this is just because it's so high in CBD and so low in THC? Or are there other things about that that you like? Because this has a very unique flavor profile. It's, I mean, I personally like it, but it's quite strong. It's very earthy. Like, you know you're getting a lot of plant material from yeah. the dropper. Yeah. You know, like I a feel- lot of these isolates, they're just clear, like MCT oil. And I look at that and I'm always like, you're not getting shit in yeah. there. I don't know, but it doesn't seem to have the same noticeable effect. What's amazing to me is the main uh, brand, it's not a brand, but it's a pharmaceutical company. They make a Pediolex, which is a CBD isolate, and they use it to treat uh, epilepsy, I'm sorry, and they use it in all the studies. And it it works fairly well in the studies. So imagine if you have a full-spectrum product, how much more efficient it's actually going to be. That's why, to me, full-spectrum is the way to go. Unless you get drug-tested, because... There's THC in it. If you took one or two servings, I'm sure you'd be fine. But as you take it all the time, which is what you want to do, you want to take it on a daily basis or five times a week, a little THC may show up in a drug test. And I just don't believe in carrying CBD isolate. We used to have a vape formula, but we don't do that anymore. For me, it's all full spectrum. And uh, that particular strain, to me, it's more about like the profile. The profile of cannabinoids, the terpenes, the energy of the plan, not to sound like hippy dippy. Hey, look where we're sitting, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't care. There's something about it. When I first tasted it, I said, this is coming from the earth. This is where we go back to. This is where we come from. There's something right about it. I've tried. I get companies sending me so much CBD. They must not know I'm a company and or they want me to promote it or I'm an influencer. I don't know what they think. I just get this stuff in the mail all the time. And I feel bad throwing it out, but I don't want to put it in my body. We perfected this product for me, my family. I take it all the time. And I'm here for the long run. I want to live as long as possible because, especially now with my son, I don't have a fear of death. But now that I have a family, I want to have the longest lifespan with him. I stay home with him all the time. We'll get into that all all later. But I'm just saying the quality the health benefits, the 
the cleanliness of this product, if it goes in me, I know it's okay for my customers. And I call them my element family because I respond to their emails. I try to respond to almost everyone. Me or Kristen or someone from my team that's very close to me will respond. The thing I always find curious about CBD, and I want to learn more about this, is when I first found out about it, I was referring back to my former long time, very long time love affair with cannabis. I mean, I was like a massive weed smoker my whole childhood until I was 27 years old. I mean, all day, every day, couldn't get enough, right? Sold it, attempted to grow it a couple of times. I was probably eight or nine when I started smoking. Oh, I thought you were like growing it and selling it at eight or nine. No, no. Then no I, I know what you mean. Yeah, and, uh, and then I got into all the other stuff too, but weed was always there, so I was very apprehensive about ever trying it because I didn't want to trigger something in my sobriety and start smoking weed again, which for me, and I'm not saying this is true for everyone, but it was an absolute gateway drug. And I proved that over and over again. Cannabis. Yeah. Every time I try to get off hard drugs, I'd be like, I'm just going to smoke weed. That was always my dream because I, I loved weed and it, I mean, it definitely interfered with my development on all levels of my ability to do anything meaningful with my life. Again, that was just me. I know a lot of people use cannabis in a more um, you know, productive way and a safe way. For me, it, it can never do that. So when I found out about CBD, uh, I was a little nervous. And then when I started doing it, I always had this idea that it was like industrial hemp that I'd see growing in the fields or like what used to be the male plants, they wouldn't bud. They'd be full of seeds. Right, right. Your female plants would get pollinated. That's what you thought hemp was. Yeah, so I'd, I thought hemp wasn't the buds is what I'm getting. I thought, yeah. it, was just, I thought it was taken out of the oh, stalks so and the funny. leaves. It wasn't until actually probably a couple of years ago that I learned that when you're, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're growing like the CBD, like you guys make it element, I mean, you have big old buds. It looks just like a normal cannabis plant. Yeah. Smells that way, looks that way. Sticky buds, like. It's cannabis. Like dank weed, but it just doesn't have the THC or at least very little of it. Right. I try to simplify it and I say it's not traditional cannabis, but it is cannabis. It's just like a different subspecies that doesn't have high THC and it was used for ropes, for clothing. I mean, it should be used for everything. We wouldn't have to cut down as many trees because it grows so fast. And I work with a lot of farmers that are doing this type of work. I'm like so overwhelmed that I can't grow hemp on my farm in Florida. They have very strict laws, but it's an amazing plant in general. I and mean, so the, can, the strain you're using, though, it's like full on buds, right? Oh, yeah. That's where you're of getting. Of course. We don't use stalk and stem or seed. Okay. Like, okay. It has to be bud. Okay. And then. Um, I say it, that like, you don't know this? <laughs> I mean, I kind of. How crazy. I, I, I kind of figured that. Yeah. But yeah, it's just something I discovered later on in my journey. Because like I said, I just, I thought it was like what you make rope out of is what CBD. It was not until I think I started seeing the smokable CBD. Where, you know, I was like, that's a joint. My friend's like, no, it won't get you high. And so I was like, reluctantly smoked one of those. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. If they would have come out, I called it decaf (sighs) weed. You know, I was like, man, if they would have had this back in my 20s, I was always like, God, I want to keep smoking weed. But then I end up on all this other stuff. I wish they just had a weed that I could enjoy that didn't get you high. And here all these years later, they finally did. Trademarking. Luke Story decaf weed and my new (laughs) pre-rolls. I mean, we have pre-rolls. Did I send you my pre-rolls to try? I don't think so. That's like when we used to do like all the hardcore stuff, smoking it is obviously the quickest way of ingesting a compound. Well, intravenous, we're not doing that with CBD, but with smoking, you feel the effects like quickly. Yeah. If you're really stressed after a long day, or I used to go and train martial arts in the evening. I stop. I'm doing that in the morning now for circadian rhythm and my 
everything. It just feels so much better to train in the morning versus in the later afternoon. But I would get home at like eight o'clock after fighting uh, jujitsu. I mean, I would have round after round and sit there like in the car, like I cannot calm my nerves down. It's intense. And then I want to try to go to bed and I just couldn't. So when I would train at night, I'd get home and go in my backyard and smoke a joint. It was almost like the romantic version of like sitting there drinking your cognac by the fire. And I would just come back inside and be like, oh, I'm back to like a leveled state. And CBD and the endocannabinoid system, that's like one really powerful thing about it. I always bring up balance because it's a balancing compound. Uh, So for example, like let's say you're faced with, we talked about a lion or a tiger is in front of you. You're going to be hit with massive amounts of cortisol, all the stress hormones, noradrenaline, norepinephrine, adrenaline. Well, your endocannabinoid system, assuming it's functioning optimally, this prevents all the detrimental effects of stress. It's starting to send out all the endocannabinoids and there's a bunch of them. There's so many that kind of bring you back to that state of balance, more centered state, more yeah. grounded state. Homeostasis. Imagine homeostasis. Yeah. Yeah. If we didn't have that, you might be sitting there with spiked cortisol for an extended period of time, which is dangerous. What does uh, full spectrum mean? I know there's, you know, as you're aware and many people listening, there's like, air quotes, CBD in everything. <laughs> it's like, you know, dog treats. I mean, just anytime I go to any health food store, just CBD section, there's all this stuff. I love but, this question. But I, you know, after trying various products, like I said, I've never really had much of an effect from most of those um, with the exception of yours and a couple others that always say full spectrum. And I don't know exactly what that means. So maybe share that with us. Sure. So it begins with a whole plant extract. So we're not, the end product is not a powder that's CBD, pure CBD. Full spectrum contains naturally occurring cannabinoids straight from the plant. We try to like not have as many processes in between. The more processed it is, the more stuff they're taking out of it essentially. So full spectrum, and it's this word that's thrown around because it's a great selling tool. Be like full spectrum. It sounds great. I mean, there's like full spectrum health companies. It just sounds like you're getting everything. Well, there's no real rules to that. So some companies, they make CBD isolate and they throw a few other cannabinoids in and a couple other things, all synthetic. And then they call it full spectrum. The truth of it is, is there's three basic forms of CBD. The first one's full spectrum. That's what we do. And it contains all naturally occurring cannabinoids, terpenes, which are plant scents and flavoring, chlorophyll, like everything from the plant, fatty acids, omega-3s. The next step down is full spectrum, but they take THC out. Uh, I've never really messed with it. It's great for people that are drug tested. I just didn't trust it to sell to people because what if they do test positive and they're on an Olympic team, that's my fault. I have to take responsibility for that. So broad spectrum is this like in-between CBD isolate, which is just CBD on its own and full spectrum. Now there's a lot of companies that make CBD full spectrum. They call it full spectrum, but they've taken out a lot of other natural components and they say, oh, we have five cannabinoids in there, full spectrum. And I just, authenticity is the most important thing for me for as a person. You know, every word I say, every thought I have, it needs to be sacred and have meaning to the people I care about, to everyone around me. And I can't just, in my own conscience, sell some kind of crap and call it full spectrum. Does that explain it a little bit? Yeah, it does. 
And before I forget, for those listening, uh, if you want to try some of this stuff, I obviously highly recommend it or I wouldn't be interviewing you. Yeah. <laughs> if you sent me one of those clear little bottles of CBD, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Uh, you can go to lukestory.com slash elementhealth. lukestory.com slash elementhealth. And uh, Adam's been kind enough to give us 15% off. Thank you. And the code there is Luke. lukestory.com slash elementhealth. I'm sure like by... A ways back in the conversation, someone's probably like, oh, I want to try this because I've tried it and it didn't do anything. Um, and, you know, we have, for people that don't want to, like, put the oil under their tongue, because, you know, you count drops. Eventually, you eyeball it. You know exactly how much you're taking, or you just throw some back. Whatever you feel like. We do have soft gels. Those, I like, uh, a lot of my, like, older population, they love it, because they can just go, boom, done. But now, actually, the older population is starting to, like, Gummies. I like the gummies. Well, that was the first thing Khalil uh, mentioned to me. He's like, because I've taken the gummies, I just never notice anything. And the gummies are different. And they especially don't have any kind of flavor reminiscent of the plant, which to me is always like, I don't know. I don't trust there's anything in there. But he's like, you got to try these gummies. I was like, dude, I've had gummies. He goes, not these, not these. And then you sent me some. I was like, oh, legit. I mean, they actually taste like the plant. They're, They're quite strong. My Nana, as we used to call her, used to constantly tell me how important it was to get proper sleep. She knew, of course, that I was burning the candle on all four sides in my early years. But, you know, what did she know? She only lived to be 99 years old. Now, it wasn't until many years after her passing that I began to take her advice and really put a lot of study and discipline into my sleep hygiene. So if it helps you sleep better, I've probably tried it. But nothing, and I mean nothing, has improved my sleep more than regulating temperature. And science tells us that the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering core body temperature. Well, our homies over at Chili Sleep make the coldest and most comfortable sleep systems available. They make the Uller, the Cube, and the Doc Pro sleep systems, which are water-based, temperature-controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide your ideal sleep temperature. Now, I've used all three of their devices over the years, and they all work incredibly. But I've been using specifically their Doc Pro for the past few months, and it is awesome, especially in this insane Texas heat. The Doc Pro even has an app that lets you set a sleep schedule so you can change the temperature from cold and even to warm on demand. Plus, thankfully, it has airplane mode to stop the EMF once you get it set up with the app. So to get your sleep on track, here's what you do. Head over to sleep.me slash lukestory to learn more and save 25% off the purchase of any new Cube or the new Doc Pro sleep systems. Now, heads up, this offer is available exclusively for you Lifestylist podcast listeners and only for a limited time. So again, get over to sleep.me slash Luke story and get your sleep dialed in. Yeah, I mean, so you were mentioning earlier that there's like drinks, CBD drinks, yeah, CBD salad dressing, CBD, all this stuff. If you're buying a product like that, not a pure product, it's not full spectrum. Bottom line, because imagine trying to make a drink with that. I have people who are like, oh, I like my morning coffee and my tea, and they put my stuff in. They go, uh, it's a little rough. So <laughs> I do it. I put it in my coffee sometimes. They do it. It goes really well with really? coffee, actually. Oh, I mean, not so much intense black coffee. Not, not so much the taste, but the it takes the edge off the caffeine. Oh yeah. Like, I just find that your CBD is just pairs well with it, but admittedly, it does not taste great in in the actual coffee. But I don't care sometimes yeah. i'm just like oh i want to mix it up with all those other fats with the butter and mct and just make like a potent kind of balanced 
drank out of it. There's actually a lot of science behind the caffeine aspect of coffee with CBD. Whatever uh, anandamide, which is like a natural occurring, it's an endocannabinoid produced inside of you. I believe it's degraded to an extent. There's like a deeper science behind it. And I haven't been in the science for a year or two now, but it gets degraded with coffee. So when you're taking coffee, a lot of times people get tired. You know, they get like a little burst, but then they're tired the rest of the day. It's because of this. Well, CBD helps upregulate that. So it goes together really well in the morning. So if you don't want to be tired after drinking your coffee, like the little spike, you can do CBD with it or tea is even better than coffee with like CBD just because you get a longer acting effect. Noted. I don't take it in the morning because when I wake up, I'm like, let's fucking go. Yeah, I can tell. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm like that all day, actually. I don't You're know. up to jujitsu. You're not trying to relax in the morning. Even on the non-jujitsu days, my wife's like, you are so intense in like a great way, though. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I don't know. When you've been in the shitter so long with that, I don't want to waste anything. I'm ready to move on to the next realm whenever my time is. And I think every moment here, I always use that word sacred. Maybe it's played out, but like, I don't waste a second. I, I just can't. I don't know what it is. When I see my son, especially, even before him, though, sitting there in meditation and just like, I guess when you lose someone too, that was a big thing with my father. We were so close. And I remember training and I get a call from my mom and she's like crying, my stepmom. And she's like, you need to get to the hospital now. And I'm like, I always try to calm everyone down. I'm like, no, no, breathe, relax. I'll get it. She goes, no, 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 no. It's really bad. I'm like, okay. They're like, he's going to surgery. I'm like, what? I have no idea what's going on. I just dropped everything. I said, told all the bosses at the resort, I'm leaving. And I drove there like 120 miles an hour, like a crazy person and got there. And I remember they're like, he just went in for surgery. And my whole family got there. They flew in from everywhere. He was like the, obviously the patriarch of our family, but he had this like energy about him. Everyone loved him. There was like a guy who would come and clean his pool. When I told him that my father passed, he cried to me on the phone. A pool guy. There was a guy at like the bagel store he went to. My dad like was the most giving person. People say like, oh, someone will give their shirt off your back. He would do that. He's done that. I mean, I've never met someone like him. Like maybe saints. And uh, I was the one that had to calm everyone down. We were at the hospital. And hospital is a horrible place. Especially the hospital we went to. These doctors were just rough around the edges. They had no like bedside manner. They were just to the point, which I can appreciate. But at the same time, there's people around me that are not okay with death. And he was just like, he's not going to make it. So just get ready. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, he'll make it. And I like go to the room and I see like the extent of it. He had an aortic aneurysm. And it was crazy because he had just retired. And... I had just had dinner with him three days before. I called him. I said, I got a surprise to tell you. So me and Kristen were all excited because I was quitting my personal training job because Element was really growing. It was becoming this big thing. And I just felt in my heart it was time. So I sit them down at the table and I said, yeah. So they're like, what's the big news? You know, I kind of like beat around the bush for a while. And they said, what's the big news? I said, I'm quitting my job. And they're like, oh, they thought I was going to say, oh, we're having a child or like something magnificent that like a typical, like uh, maybe a Jewish parent would expect. They're like, I'm going to go try to become a doctor or something like that. He understood, like, I wanted to follow my passion. But that was like the last time I really got to talk to him. And I didn't get to say anything. Like, I saw him once he was like unconscious and open everywhere. And the doctors told me. 
And thankfully, I, I don't like to use the word shamanism, but like I, I've studied a lot of shamanic technique for many years. And so when you study spirituality, you have to realize that when people are ready to move on, it's their time. And this is a very important moment. So I just remember being there and like trying to get all the people to like say they're okay with what's happening, say to let go. Because no one wanted to let go. He was a little too young. He was 64. And I got everyone out of the room and I was able to do what I know was right for him so he could go off and not hold any karmic attachments to this life. And I don't even know where we're going with that, but I love bringing up my dad because it's just like a special moment. And he was so proud of this. And he used to take it all the time. And like, oh, as I was saying, all of our family members would take it. He was like the biggest proponent. He brought bottles with him everywhere. Try this, try this, try this. It was like the cool thing. He was like my marketing guy, even though he wasn't. It was like, <laughs> he, he was part of the growth. I posted about him once when he passed. And um, I just got really motivated at that point to like push it to the next level. And I don't even know where we're going. We're Sometimes going the tangent's you great. Go, man. <laughs> but yeah, he, I think I should have gotten him on it a little sooner. He was taking pharmaceutical drugs like prednisone for autoimmune disorders. And it really helped his like IBS and other issues of inflammation. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we were going into the, the aspect of how it can prevent viral replication and yeah. boost your immune system. What about the thing? And thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And you can, on this podcast, you can go any direction. Okay. We'll, we'll find our way back to the path right, eventually. Right. That's why I don't put a timer on these things because I want everything you got for the audience and for myself. What about growing practices? You know, you said you found this one strain. And from what I understand uh, about this industry, is that it's still relatively wild west and a lot of people that are growing these plants to make CBD aren't growing it organically. They're sprayed with pesticides. They're doing God knows what to it. What are some of the uh, growing practices and maybe even the dirty little secrets people should be aware of, whether they buy your element product or elsewhere? I mean, is organic really important? What about the soil, the water, plastics, pesticides? I mean, what's the deal with the large-scale growing of this plant for this purpose? Yeah, that's a big thing that I've talked about. I mean, we don't do large-scale we're always family farms, small. To me, that's what's important. And I like to fly out there and see the crops myself because I'm not growing it. People that grow, they need to grow. I have a contract with them. They're family, friends. We're in contact with everything. But growing is like you have to be married to it. And a lot of companies might say that they grow their own. I can't speak for them. A majority of companies are just like getting some wholesale stuff and then charging more. I don't even know what they're doing these days. I try not to keep up with it. I mean, I keep up with the science of CBD. I know we have to keep what we're doing on point. So we test everything. One big thing is a lot of companies, they aren't putting pesticides on their plants, but you always hear about genetically modified plants that are like transferring seeds or going into other fields or pesticides are going onto other plants from other farms. And this is a big thing. So we do third-party testing on our stuff all the time for pesticides, mycotoxins, everything you can imagine, residual solvents. And it's funny, we were counterfeited by companies because like really? if I'm taking it, I need to know like what's going on. I'm not, I don't, I eat all organic. I'm like the health freak times 10, which in good company, because I used to think I was alone, you know? And then when I spoke to you, Ben Greenfield, cool guys that understand like organic, not just organic, but organic living, 
mitigating EMF every chance you can, your mindset, your spiritual journey. This is super important, maybe the most important. So we test and we had companies in Brazil that were just printing our labels on bottles. They were putting grain alcohol in there and some flavoring from olive oil and selling it on like the eBay of Brazil. Really? Yeah. Other companies were wow. taking our third-party tests because we pay for like very extensive. We can do the basics because we know what we're getting. But I try to test for everything. And they'll just take ours off of our website or now I try to just send it via email to the right people. And they'll take it and they'll change their name. <laughs> oh, damn. It's dude. crazy. That's, it's still the Wild West because... That is ratchet. It's And horrible. you're paying a lot for these. I know from testing my... Thousands my, of dollars. My water is like $350 to get it tested every time. And that's a much more simple process, I'm sure. And testing companies, like I can send it to three companies and get slightly different results. Wow, interesting. It's, I mean, it's not the Wild West. This is what happens when you're working with natural compounds. Yeah. You know? I, it might be the same with water, actually. What about, you guys make a pet product? Oh, yeah. You do? What's been the reaction to pets? Because oh. I've had it periodically, and I give it to our, our dog, Cookie. In fact, I gave her some of your stuff a couple nights ago because she was... Um, she under the chair, like, on her she, back she was, She's yeah. real chill. If we fly, I'll give it to her. But mainly if she's, like, sick or if I'm taking, like, we take her to ceremony when we're allowed to. And I want her to be real calm and not get in anybody's space. But she adds a lot to the experience, typically. So I'll give her a pretty hefty dose pre-ceremony. She's just going to be laid out and just super gooey and happy. But I'm just, like, mostly I don't have the pet stuff from your company or any of the max. Okay, that's what I've been doing. But it, oh, good is, good. is the pet formula different? Are there any counterindications or something people should be aware of giving it to animals? I'm not technically allowed to make a recommendation for dosing. Okay, I just say what I take. I'm not to, yeah. allowed to tell people to take pet CBD or give their pets. There's no proven science behind it. What I've come to like experience. We have three dogs crazy dogs like little tasmanian devils and as they get older i'm like oh they'll calm down they just get more intense i don't know what it is and they don't calm down from our cbd one of them does she gets a little bit calm the other ones don't thunderstorms traveling they don't care they need like a benadryl or something really strong if they're really losing it because their stress levels get so high but and other people like when i talk to customers some of them say I'd say 25 to 30% say, wow, it's really like calming my dog down. I believe they should take it for general health, that they'll live longer because the dog food is just horrible these days. All dry dog food should not be consumed. We've had pets our entire life. And I really only think dogs should be eating raw food. Yeah. And you change the formulas. We have a great place in Florida that sells us these huge logs and it's expensive, but he breeds mastiffs. That should live like, six to 10 years max and all his live like 14 years wow. using his food. And it's not organic. I always bust his balls. I'm like, is this grass-fed beef? Is this organic? He's like, no. Country dude. Yeah. But his dogs live long and they don't have a bunch of tumors. And most dogs, you'll notice that that's how they go. They get these tumors from the food or they're drinking tap water. I tell people, do not give your dogs tap water. Thank you. Oh my God. They drink our water. Yeah. And we give them the right amount of minerals. They get everything. Plus all of the medications, we're always here in Texas, well, not always, we've had two summers, and if, if it rains, there's a lot of fleas, especially around here because there's so many deer, 
And we always like try everything, dude. The natural shampoos, the you know the, the flea. T- yeah, and twice last summer and once this year, we we had to do the the medication, you know. And I'm thinking about the drops on yeah. the back, mm-hmm. and I'm like, ah, oh, that can't be good. But then it we, rubs off on you. We, yeah, and we also don't want our house infested with fleas and none of the. Na- I mean, I'm natural guy up to a point. I mean, for me too, I'll take pharmaceuticals if nothing else is working. Emergency care is great. It's not going to be my first line of defense, but if I need to take antibiotics. I'll take one for the team. I just want to get better. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I'm thinking about how many people are feeding their dog this GMO kibble and also all the vaccines they want to give the pets. It's crazy. And I haven't fully researched this, but from what I understand, pets are way over vaccinated, as are obviously many of our children and now, unfortunately, adults. But Dude, there's a reason why dogs are getting tumors. Yeah. It's, you don't, none of the deer in the neighborhood seem to be getting tumors, you know? Maybe if they eat enough of the atrazine sprayed Roundup oh, lawns in the neighborhood. But you know what I mean? I mean, it's to me, I've just been like, why, why does everyone's pets fall apart after a few years yeah. and even before their time? So, what we do actually is initial vaccines are sometimes required by the state. We try to avoid it as much as possible, the initial ones. But if they get like a rabies or, what you can do is get a titer test. I don't know if you're familiar with that. What they I've, do is I've they draw blood from them and they send it to a lab. It's a lot more expensive. Let's say your shots are 50 to $100. You get a titer test and it might cost up to 400 but it tests to see if it still has the vaccine, like the antibodies. Right. So for example, you're supposed to give your dog a rabies vaccine like every other year. Wow. Or every year, at least in Florida, because we have some crazy animals. But you take your dog to a vet, they're like, oh, ready for this, ready for this shot. Every year or two, there's more shots. We don't do that. We do the titer test. And I've had my dogs with active antibodies for six years. Oh, wow. We just had to give a little bit of a rabies shot because now that we're in the country, there's some crazy animals. Yeah. Because she was at zero. Especially if you're out hunting boars. Yeah. (laughs) We don't hunt them with them. Yeah, yeah. Those are my babies. Yeah, can you imagine? You should see the dogs that hunt, though. If you see them, they're like 30 pounds. They look like skinny, almost like greyhound skinny. They're not that skinny, but you can't keep meat on them. And they just want to hunt. They're called cur dogs. Okay. And they are the like most intense working dogs. Wow. But yeah, you just want to do these tighter tests if you can afford it. I don't That's even know. That's a good know. tip. That's I, a good I tip. Just, I didn't know that. I just know anytime we find a new vet, they want her records. And I'm like, I'm doing the minimum that is safe. You know what I mean? In terms no of new vets. Like, I don't want them to get rabies. I don't even know how that works. Anyway, I don't want to get too in that rabbit hole, but the consensus is definitely that CBD is good for pets. Like I've heard all of these reports of people, uh, oh, my dog couldn't get off the couch because it had arthritis, right? And then they give it CBD for two weeks it's jumping around like a puppy. I mean, this isn't marketing people or people like you that own a company. This is like customer reviews and that kind of stuff. And this is just nonstop. I've always seen this kind of stuff related to pets. So I thought, well, all these people can't be imagining it. It's no. got to be doing something. I've had customers tell me that their dog was on their deathbed, like not moving, not eating. Then they ordered my CBD, took it. And within a few hours, they like perked up a little, ate, two days later, getting up off the couch, acting like a puppy again. Yeah. Like, we were going to put him to sleep. Yeah. This is crazy. I, I hear that like, a lot. This is your loved one, you know? Yeah, man. Is there any difference in outdoor or indoor grown as a former? committed weed smoker as i said for so long i always preferred outdoor me too is there any is there any difference is it just is it cost prohibitive or anything to you know have big fields outdoors of cbd plants or does it even matter well indoors you can manage things a lot better with pests you can 
um, take care of the nutrients more effectively. We do outdoor. I just believe in the sun, not just artificial lights. And I like rainwater. Obviously, we have to water more. And I, I keep up with it. But I think that's just more important than growing it indoors, even though you can grow it in soil and you can perfect the plant indoors. But I mean, the cost is cheap enough that like it's pretty expensive to grow indoors now. You know, the prices are starting to drop. Actually, it's going up a little bit because a lot of people are like, growing less. There's been more flooding. The market's funky with CBD. Okay. But I'm just more of a fan of outdoor. Yeah. I've had a feeling you'd say that. I've grown cannabis <laughs> indoors very successfully, and it's huh. very easy. But outdoor, yeah. why not? Yeah. When I was a kid and I used to try to grow weed, it would always get stolen before it ever flowered. <sighs> yeah. And then one time someone gave me a, a cutting. Like a that, clone? Yeah, clone. Yeah. And... I was so fascinated. It was just like a bud about four inches high that just grew out of the dirt. And I was like, oh, now I get it. You know, So cool. If you grew 500 of those, you wouldn't have to wait around months for the kid down the street to come steal it out of your backyard. What is CBG? I've been hearing more about this particular compound lately. A friend of mine made a formula of it and gave it to me. And it, it seemed nice. Is that is that in your stuff? Does it have CBG or is that a whole other thing? Yeah, so CBG and CBN are two of the cannabinoids that are like getting hype right now. Okay. Um, I believe CBG is really good on the immune system and I, CBN, which I mentioned, is really great with sleep. I could be getting them a little bit confused. Or being full spectrum, it contains both of those. Oh, okay. In the proper compounds, we say as nature intended. In the proper ratios. Okay. That's how you want it. In my opinion, I find it to just be more effective that way. I'm getting the benefits of CBG, of CBN, CBD, CBDA, THC. We're getting all of those. You can't isolate it. It's cool. Don't get me wrong. And there's a lot of new research on it. But I'm just seeing companies saying, oh, we have a sleep formula now, which is not even legal. You can't write that. They're doing it under the radar. And they're saying, we're full spectrum with added CBG, with added CBN. And these things are harder to produce, so they're pretty expensive. I don't think it's better. I want it in the ratios that comes as nature intended, like I said. Got it. Okay, cool. Something that has popped up here in Texas, I think because the weed laws here are probably still pretty strict. Like they don't have weed stores. Like when I was back in LA recently, I was pointing them out to Bailey. I was like, look, that's a weed store. He's like, yeah, so what? I'm like, In Texas, you mean? Yeah, in, in LA, they had them. It's like... you. I went in one once and I'm like, holy shit, where was this when I was like 25? I mean, you walk in, you're like, Hindu Kush, Purple Haze, just buds. And you just buy it. I was like, what? But you're from Cali though. Yes, I'm from there. But in Texas, you don't have that. I think it's like old school American law here. We're under federal law or whatever. So the state has not legalized it. Anyway, the point I'm getting to, uh, a friend of mine that helps us a lot with the house, he works for a company, I think they're called Smoke Buds. And they use, they put Delta 9, something called Delta 9 Delta THC. 8? I think it's Delta, is it Delta 8? Yeah, Delta 8. Okay, they put, I knew your question. they put Delta 8 in there. And I just, I figured, well, you know, THC is illegal here, so it's not going to get you high. And he gave me a gummy one day. This is quite recently and much to the chagrin of my my loving wife who knows how crazy I can be with shit. But he's like, you should just take a half. And I was like, I'm taking the element gummies. I might take two or three of those. I'm good. And he goes, yeah, just take a half. I was like, ah, it was like 10 in the morning. I just ate the whole thing and went about my day. 25 milligrams probably. About an hour, I have them downstairs. I have much respect for them now, but I'm at my computer, dude. And I'm doing emails. And then maybe a half an hour later, I'm like, I don't feel like doing emails anymore. In fact, I can't do anything. It's crappy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, 
I went on a whole journey. I mean, I'm walking around the house kind of like, I don't know, maybe I'll play guitar. I pick up the guitar. I'm like, nah. I read a book. Nah. <sighs> sit by the pool. Nah. Could not feel comfortable in my skin. When you don't expect it, that's rough. Yeah, it was brutal. It's the classic meme, these edibles ain't shit. And I go outside and talk to Allison. I'm like, man, I'm really sorry, but like, I, I'm journeying here and not in a good way. I think I have to go lay down. So please just be understanding. And of course she was. Dude, the only thing I could do was just go lay in my room, put on an eye mask, put on some great shamanic <laughs> yeah, kind yeah. of ceremony playlist and just lay there. And it was probably a good three or four hours. And I'm just laying there going, what is up with this Delta 8 shit? Totally caught me off guard because I didn't listen. You know, right. I was given instructions and my bad. I didn't listen because I just felt still invincible. a lot. Taking half of one would be a lot still. Man, so word to the wise, anyone living in Texas or elsewhere, like that is real, real shit. And it was not, for me, it was not pleasurable. You know, I mean, I breathed into it and just kind of surrendered and it was fine. But it was very strange in that I was having, I was having realizations and ideas and kind of solving riddles and doing kind of my best version of healing work like I would in a plant medicine ceremony because I didn't know what else to do with myself. But it was so frustrating because I would get an epiphany and then it was gone and it would never come back. And after it was all over and I came back to my senses, I had no idea what had happened. I had no takeaways. Yeah. There was nothing to integrate. I just felt like my brain was freaking scrambled. Whereas normally, if I do something intentionally with some ritual around it, there's huge sometimes transformations or revelations that I have that I can then write down afterward and work on in my waking life. You know. So anyway, that was... That was a huge learning experience for me. So that's a long story to maybe get a short answer. But what yeah. is what is this Delta 8 thing and the legality of it and yeah. the psychoactive nature of it, specifically as it pertains to like regular old THC, which I typically avoid in large doses because of my past? I forget that most people don't understand this, but being in the cannabis field, this is like I have to keep up with all the news. And very similar to how people isolate CBD so like we do a full spectrum and we call it CBD because that's the primary cannabinoid, but people can extract CBN, CBG. It's the same idea. Well, there's a cannabinoid called Delta 8. Delta 9 is the one that everyone knows. Okay. Delta 9 is the THC that like gets you high when they make edibles. Oh, okay. Delta 9. That's like when you smoke weed. That's right, what's right, getting right. you high. Okay. However, it's illegal. Right. Federally and in a lot of states, they're very strict with it. Well, Delta 8 is a, a cannabinoid, just like Delta 9, but much lower occurring, like much lower milligram in the same amount, if that makes any yeah, sense. Sure. It's like very small amounts will be pulled from a plant. Anyways, they just realized, hey, you know what? We can, This is not on the scheduled list. And it gets you just as high. But it kind of hits you. It takes a little longer to work. I believe, and then it lasts a little longer. It's slightly different from Delta 9. I'm not a huge fan. I'm not a fan of any isolates. I don't like when they someone gives me an edible and it's like, yeah, this is a Delta 9 edible. I want like a full spectrum. Even if Delta 9 is very high, I like all the stuff to go with it because CBD, CBG, CBN, they reduce the anxiety. So a lot of people, the anxiety component of THC, that's actually a big thing people did. And there was a lot of studies of people that high-dosed THC and then they started using CBD and they're like, oh, this is manageable now. I'm not tripping out of my mind and like my heart rate's up, my heart rate's lower, my blood pressure's lower, and I feel okay now. Well, Delta 8 is just a legal version of a cannabinoid that you don't get as much of 
in a cannabis plant. Okay. Delta 9, you get a lot of it. Got it. Okay. So now there's Delta 10. <laughs> the oh, Delta God. 8's becoming illegal. I'm done with these Deltas. That was, I learned my lesson that day. Yeah. I mean, it's just. Dude, I had to call the whole day quits. Like, I had work to do and deadlines and things. It was just like, I'm incapacitated. I don't really like cannabis that much anymore, to be honest. Tiny amounts. I measure every dose. I tell people this if you're taking mushrooms, whatever you're doing, know your dose. This is like the most important thing. If I take THC, it's like two milligrams of THC. Or I'll just take two or three of my gummies and I'm like, oh, I feel great. Like, usually one is enough. Two if I want to be like on it. But yeah, people find a way around everything. Okay. Now they're selling like Delta 9 from hemp, Delta 8 from like all these weird varieties in smoke shops, at least in Florida. And they're probably going to start doing it in Texas. So the law catches up and makes it illegal. <laughs> or federally it becomes illegal legal right so. do you see that happening to me it's always whether i use any cannabis uh plant material or not and no matter how i use it i've always felt and will always feel that it is such a fundamental violation and overreach of the um regulating bodies of our government that they tell you you can't go pull that plant out of the ground and put it in your body like to me, that's just fundamentally so wrong and so ludicrous. Yeah. But we've kind of just gone along with it. The reefer madness hangover of like, oh, it's dangerous. I need the government to protect me. Which, Which is, maybe the other day I could have used the government's protection. Like, no, you're not allowed to do that. Thank you. But um, it was a learning experience, it right? Was. No, hey, Don't fuck with Delta. Respect, much respect. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It was. It was worth the experience. But do you see, um, at least in this country, because. Uh, a federal legalization of just all things cannabis at any time soon? Eventually. I wouldn't say people expected it years ago. They expected it this year, the next year. I don't think it's like people are being, are as concerned in politics about it right now. Right. They concern themselves with everything under the sun. Who knows? But right. I'm sure within the next 10 years, especially if things start calming down, they'll be able to do it. I know psychedelics, it might at least happen on a state level everywhere. Right. You're seeing psychedelics are becoming legal now, like at least in California and Washington, different types, decriminalized. I try not to worry about it. Yeah. I used to follow every bit of news, as long as it doesn't like directly affect hemp, because hemp is harmless. We know this. It's so beneficial for your health. Cannabis, I don't think they should be regulating it at all. Like you said, it's a plant. They shouldn't regulate anything. It's even weird that alcohol is kind of regulated, right? That you can't make moonshine for yourself or you can't sell it. I mean, you have to have licenses. This is all pretty crazy, but... I think with the cannabis plant, it just strikes me as the most weird because it requires no processing. You know what I mean? To make cocaine, to make heroin, to make alcohol, humans have to take the raw materials, do a bunch of stuff with it, and then you get you know, a psychoactive and potentially beneficial or detrimental but even then, product. Why does it matter? Well, I we put it through a little process, no, right? I'm, I'm not for no, it. I know. I'm not for it, but that's just, it's why like the audacity and the ludicrous nature of cannabis laws to me, like you literally don't do anything except maybe burn it, right? To get smoke in your lungs. But yeah, it's just completely ridiculous to me. It always has been. Yeah. Like I said, whether I use it or not, but that's a whole other personal issue I perhaps have with authority. It's all misguided. You know? Yeah. I um, have all these uh, problems with authority as well. I'm just like, when I'm on camera, I'm like, government's great. <laughs> yeah, government's yeah. great. They do yeah. everything we need. We you love know? the laws. I like just being under the radar. I think yeah. that's the most important thing. Don't um, fuck with me. I don't fuck with you. That's how it should be. Like live a, and let live. Exactly. 
Uh, what's up with the topical CBD products? I probably have as many different products in my bathroom cabinet of all of these pain salves and things like that. Is there, and I, you know, I've tried them all. I don't really track whether or not they're working. If my back hurts, I still use them, but I don't really know. Is there any efficacy to topically using CBD for pain? Is that a real thing? Oh, for sure. It's funny, like you were talking about turning like bad situations into good ones. I had a post that was pretty successful talking about topical. And People were chiming in all across social media. And I had one guy go on there and just troll me. I think there was a guy trolling your page when you were talking about Element products. Not even like trying to sell it. You were just saying, oh, this works for me. No, you need this. You need it. You know, everyone, there's always these trolls. Everyone has an opinion. (laughs) So this guy, everyone has an opinion, right? Yeah. Well, he was pushing his transdermal stuff and saying, mine's not going to work. It doesn't have this. And he really wanted to get into an argument online because there's eyes on it. I didn't even want to be online to tell you the truth, but I just had to clarify that transdermal, so if it says transdermal CBD or THC, it's being put on topically to get into your bloodstream to affect you like an edible or any type of oral or smoking product. There's something in it that lets it like penetrate through the dermis really far into the bloodstream. Something topical like what we carry, I don't think you have it here, but it's good for an acute pain. Strictly that. If there's inflammation or pain in a specific area, a lot of times it's elbows, knees, back as well. I've just found with a population that always has knee pain. It's like a weird thing. Knee pain, knee pain. I guess people are walking all the time. Walking in puffy sneakers for 40 or whatever years. Yeah, they don't go backwards at all. They don't take care of their knees in any way. There's no bad posture. Well, they put a little bit of cream on. They're like, I'm skipping surgery. I can just put this on every day. And that's usually a nice entrance into taking the oral stuff. But yeah, it works on an acute level. And if you see transdermal, that's just a way of getting it in your bloodstream. Cool, cool. Yeah. Okay, noted. I've been pretty damn obsessed with mitochondria for the past couple years. From blue light hacks to saunas and cold plunges, I'm always after more ATP, our body's main fuel source. And up until now, there haven't been very many supplements on the market to support mitophagy or the flushing out of old damaged mitochondria. So when I discovered this unique compound called urolithin A, I was super intrigued. It's found in pomegranate, but it's very hard, well, impossible really, to eat or drink enough of it to get the scientifically proven clinical dose. This is where a product called MitoPure from Timeline Nutrition comes in. They've created three ways to get your daily dose of 500 milligrams of urolithin A in their product MitoPure. They've got a delicious vanilla protein powder that combines muscle building protein with the cellular energy of MitoPure and a berry powder that easily mixes into smoothies or just about any drink and finally soft gels for travel. Personally, I love the new starter pack which lets you try all three forms of MitoPure. This is the first product to offer a precise dose of this compound to upgrade mitochondrial function, increase cellular energy and improve muscle strength. It actually took 10 years of research to bring this potent product to market, and I'm personally glad it did because it works. Right now is a special offer for my audience. That means you. Use the promo code LUKE10 to get 10% off any 2, 4, or 12-month MitoPure plan at TimelineNutrition.com. That's TimelineNutrition.com. And to learn more about this fascinating discovery, go back and check out episode 389 with Dr. Chris Rinch. It's incredible stuff. There's a whole other side of your story, and you know maybe we can get kind of the elevator pitch version of it, but 
you found yourself recently, um, or not that recently, but some time ago, struggling with fertility on on the male side, and you went through this whole process of undoing that limitation, and you have a beautiful baby that I just met a couple hours ago. Um, and I found this story to be really inspiring and also interesting because you don't hear a lot about fertility on the dad side, right? I think, I don't know if there's a stigma there or if it just doesn't right. happen, but when a couple says, oh, we're having fertility issues, I'm always looking at the mom, you know, like it's their thing. So maybe just give us your yeah. experience there. I think it's a pretty beautiful story. I love this because like you said, there is a stigma for men. And the problem is fertility levels are dropping extensively now because of the microplastics, because of hormones, because of so many different things. I know for me, I considered myself a biohacker. I'm like, I'm going to try everything. When I was 20-something years ago, I did a ton of steroids because I was into bodybuilding and fighting and all this. And to get off of that or to at least like get back to normal, I would have to take testosterone. It was a very extensive process. When you're young, you just want to be muscular and feel alpha and all this other stuff and have great performance, especially as a fighter. Well, they don't tell you that it's going to leave you with serious reproductive issues. So I'm trying to, we decide we finally want to get pregnant. You know, it's very easy to say, oh, the world's ending. Maybe we don't need kids. You know, the world gets crazier and crazier, but you do it. We reproduce to make better, a better world and to bring more love to everyone around us. He's, he's like a beacon of light to me. Everywhere we go, we're like, this is our first flight with him. All right, we got to make sure he doesn't cry. And I'm like, no, you know what? He's going to be perfect. He was on the plane making everyone laugh. Just everyone. He was just like, it was the most beautiful thing. And afterwards, we're like, Dude, you're the most amazing thing. Like, we see him and we realize how parents feel. People would tell us about kids and then we just look at our dogs and we're like, no, no, no. This is what's up. <laughs> and then you have a kid. We tried having kids and it was like two or three years of me trying. And it just like wasn't working. Thankfully, my wife is like so understanding. And she's like, I'm just so in love with you. We have a journey. If we don't have kids, we can adopt if we want. We don't have to worry about this at all. No stress. But it really hit me that I really wanted kids, especially when my father passed. Because I knew like if I had a, I always wanted a son. Because my father was such a good father. It, like it just brought something out of me that I wanted to give that. I wanted to continue the bloodline and him know what that love is and make the world better and know that he could do it. Who knows what he could do? I'm open. We had all these issues and I said, what do I do? I tried all like the natural fertility stuff, more like supplements and things like that for like a month. And then I said, you know what? I'm not going to mess with supplements right now. There's too much research. Let me go to a doctor. There's professionals for this, you know, the medical professionals. So I go to the number one guy in Florida, in Miami. I felt like cows, like just being herded through a waiting room. There was like 50 people there. I'm like, this is not what I anticipated. And he says a few things to me, asks me questions, leaves the room. And then I get like a few interns or a few other guys studying under him. I'm like, oh, what's going on? They're like, you're going to go in a cup right now. We're going to test your semen and all this other stuff. It's pretty invasive and it just feels so cold. So anyhow, they say, yeah, your sperm count's at zero. You're not wow. going to be able to have kids. We can try a few things. We'll see how it goes from there. I tried a few things they gave me and it made me feel like death. I tried like this one nasal spray. I tried like all these injectable things. I don't mind injecting, but what it did to my hormones, it made me feel horrible. It gave me like puffy nips. It gave me like all <laughs> sorts of stuff because my estrogen was spiking very high. And 
temporarily that's fine, but it got like harder and it, it, everything just felt so, I felt out of my body. And for a guy that meditates and I want to be inside myself and understand the world around me, I felt like out of my body. That was what it was. And I noticed I'd be happy one second, then angry, then sad, then joyful. I'm like, this is nuts. And I looked at my wife and she's like, I don't want you feeling like this. And do we want to have a kid when you're feeling like this? I got my levels checked, zero, zero. I'm like, all right, I'm done with this. And I decided, you know what? I'm just going to meditate. I'm going to do what I know. I'm going to go deep down into what I believe. I know anything is possible. It's just when you have infertility, you get hit with that. It makes you question certain things. Like, did I make choices that affected me for the rest of my life? And I had to like sit down and really tell myself, no, this is not the case. You can achieve anything you want physically. Your thoughts create your reality. We all know this. But on what level? Can you change your biology with your thoughts? So my father passed and I had a meditative practice. And I said, you know, I've seen ayahuasca. I've seen um, psilocybin treat people near the end of life. I've seen people with cancer that went into remission. I've seen like miraculous things with work with psychedelics. Except I had done a lot of ayahuasca. I've learned a lot, but I didn't have time to go to ceremonies. Very extensive. Ceremonies require dieting. It requires, who knows, up to 10 hours. It could be two hours. You might have to travel days to get somewhere. It's exhausting. So I said, all right, I'm going to try my own version of ayahuasca that I created. I don't really talk about it that much, but it's a, a compound based off of the ayahuasca vine and extracting DMT from Chacruna, basically the exact same mixture they get, cooking it in the Amazon in an oral version. And I created a system where I'm able to do it in a smokable form. And because it's smokable, it lasts a fraction of the time period, but I can go exceptionally deep. And I really believe your intent with using psychedelics, your mindset, not even so much your setting sometimes, because I would just do it in my house. I believe my house is a great place, but we all think we need to fly to the Amazon to do the right ayahuasca or whatever it might be. So I sat down and I created a gratitude practice. Gratitude journal, basic thing that I ordered on Amazon. And every morning I said, all right, I'm going to wake pee meditate. That was what an old meditation instructor told me. Wake pee meditate. Sometimes, well, hopefully it's not pee wake meditate, but you know, or maybe poop, who knows. But I would write in the gratitude journal, everything I was grateful for. And then just write about, wow, my life with my son or my daughter, whatever it would be. And I just knew I was going to have a son. Like, I just knew it. But anyhow, I just talked about my life with him. I wrote about it and I felt it. Feeling those emotions is exceptionally important. That's a harder thing to do for most people. But a little meditation, a little practice. Everything's a practice, like I said. And I started really feeling like, wow, he's going to come into my life soon. And I started creating my own ceremony, my own ritual in my backyard where I'd go in the backyard and I would learn, I learned a lot from my particular mentor. He wrote a book called Ayahuasca Wisdom. It's Jules Rivera is the author. And he taught me a lot about ayahuasca itself and about the spiritual journey. He just seems like a slightly older version than me. And we've had our paths crossed and past lives and this life. And he ended up marrying my wife and I. So we have a very deep connection. And I created this formula and I would go in my backyard and I would perform my own ikaro or I would listen to ones that he sent me or some from the Shipibo people in the Amazon and different other masters that had, an ikaro is just a program 
I'm putting the program in my subconscious just so I could learn a little more. It's not changing my reality 100%. That's my responsibility. And I would just meditate deeply and I'd see what would come up and I would ask a question every time about whatever it might be. And I really believe that I had to overcome a few things to eventually boost my fertility. The first one was like confronting my past. And this is a big thing. We all have to address our deeper scars and our trauma. And I would do that meditating without any of my products or any, anything else. But I'd also do it three times a week with this smokable ayahuasca. A lot of people don't want to call it that. And they'll just call it some version of DMT. And that's whatever you call it, it's whatever you call it. The process to me doesn't matter. The result is what's important. And I would sit there and smoke it and realize, wow, I just go deep into like, I did this. Or this was a choice I made that affected someone else deeply. And I was like, do I need to call them and apologize? You don't. This is all like, we're all interconnected. They had to have known. What, did, what traumas did I experience? How far back do I need to go? There, it goes, so I always thought, you know what? I have to do this heavy shadow work. A lot of people are afraid of that. They want an ayahuasca experience. They want everything to be very pleasurable these days. But the training or the practice I do with my clients that are going through severe suffering is about both boundaries. Ex knowing comfort, treating your body very well, but also experiencing intensity. It might be unpleasant, it might be painful. It could be an exercise. It could be something mental. It could be a psychedelic voyage. I think it's very important to go that far and then also treat it with a certain type of recovery and bring us back. Those two extremes can help me like get into this centered, balanced, aligned point with my source, with God, whatever you want to call it. So I just had released so much, kind of like when you purge on ayahuasca. I don't need to go into details, but I would just spit it into this fire or spit it into the floor back into the earth and be very thankful for it. Sometimes it was throwing up. Sometimes it was crying. I would grab the tree in my backyard and tears poured down. Sometimes my wife would come out like to see if I was okay. And like, if you're tripping and someone comes and watches you, I'm crying naked holding a tree. She's like, oh shit. I remember one time I was like a jaguar, like ripping through some of my past traumas. And I was just in the dirt. I don't know why I was just rubbing it all over me. It was a little fucking crazy. On my hands and knees in our backyard. And like she came out and saw me. She's like, oh, okay. I get it. Let me go back inside. They never questioned me about it, which is the funny thing. You know, sometimes you share, sometimes you don't. There's no judgment. And um, once you conquer these demons, you have to also be okay with your death and um, your mortality. Because I think death is the one thing that hangs on everyone. A lot of people say, oh, I'm not afraid of death, but maybe they're jumping out of planes every week to help conquer their fear. Everyone has this like shadow that just hangs on them and it affects every single thing in their life. And that's people, I was hypochondriac when I was young. I remember seeing My Girl, like that movie, and it affected me. I was like, oh shit, bees can sting you and you can die. Like you can die from anything. And even if you're not a hypochondriac, there's this fear of death that everyone has, even if they don't want to admit it. And I think the spiritual journey, the one huge aspect of it is conquering this death. And there's so many levels to it. And I'm conquering it in a loving way. It's not saying, oh, I beat you. It's surrendering to it, understanding it, knowing where we're going next, maybe not knowing where we're going next and being okay with it. I had my first ayahuasca experience, I was telling you, it was like 10, maybe a little bit longer. And I experienced so many deaths. It's like a story that I've told before in other podcasts. And people are like, 
just jaw dropped because it was so profound. One aspect of it, I won't get into like so much of it was during one of these voyages, I went into my coffin and I was like, whoa, I'm dead now. And I could feel my whole body. And I had, I was not part of this reality anymore, this 3D, 4D reality. I was in a different place. I was literally in my body in a coffin. And I started watching the coffin go down and it was like dead skin hanging off my bones. I'm like, oh, that's all it is. Interesting. And my spear was going through. It's funny because I once grabbed my like groin and then my friend who was there said, yeah, you stood up and just pulled your dick out of your pants. And I was like, <laughs> I got back to this reality for a second and I looked down and I was like, oh, and I put it right back uh -huh. in. It was just a funny little thing that happened. And then I collapsed and went back into this astral projection. projection. That's just a little funny aside, but I'm falling into the earth and I hear a eulogy and I'm just like following the eulogy. Where is it? And it was, he was like a combination of a shaman, a rabbi, a priest. And he was talking about me and I saw like my family crying. And I was like, oh, wow, they really cared about me. And then I look and there's just more people and more people. And I'm looking and I'm like, wow, these are people I know, but that's like a guy I met on like the bus once. This was like an Uber driver. I'm like, what is this? How do all these people like end up at my funeral? So a second later, I go into their heads. Like first my dad, my mom, Kristen's head, my brother and sister, and I feel their pain. They're like, oh my God, he was too young. He, but he had such an impact on my life. And I could feel like their history of what kind of impact I had and how they were so happy that I was part of their family. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And then it starts spreading and going to every single person. And I was in their minds, hundreds of people, maybe thousands. I don't know how many I met. It was so many over the course of what honestly felt like 10,000 years. And you're okay with this concept because beyond space and time, we are interdimensional spiritual beings. So I paid no thought to it. It was infinite. If I even know what that word means. And I could just see me in all these people's minds. And they all said, oh, he shouldn't have done this. Or he could have done this. Or he treated me this way. And I was crying as them, as male, as female, as dogs. It was so profound. And I was like, wow, I left this world a beautiful place. Like, this is good. This is a good death. And I'm like, oh, cool. Let's go into the ground now. Let's see what happens. And it just shot me into the sky, past the clouds, past the infinite unknown into the depth of what this reality is all about, beyond the simulation, beyond everything. And it was every sound and every smell and taste, every color that you can experience as a spirit, as a person. I don't know what realm this was, but it showed me like what we go to and how infinite we are. And I can go into this body and become one with this. And we are one with this. And it just showed me how I could conquer death by, I guess you become death. And it's not something you do just once. It's something you'll lose that sensation as a human. We forget things, you know? We listen to music and then we get it back again. We're like, oh, that was a great song. So it's something we have to continue doing. This is part of like the shamanic healing process. We don't put our faith in someone else. We put in ourselves in belief that we're part of this big picture and we have to do work. No one else is going to save me. I have to save myself. And then eventually I started connecting with my parents, like my dad who passed, obviously, and my grandparents and seeing their lives and seeing my past lives. And it was accessible to me with psychedelics, of course, but also a profound meditative practice. 
there's a lot of people that don't need any of this stuff. They're just intuitive, you know, maybe crystal children or indigo children. I hear these terms thrown around. I haven't studied it too much, but the world's changing very fast and we all have this capability. We all have DMT. We all have these chemicals in our brain. So these things are accessible to us. I know they are. And I'm connecting with my father and I could just see like, he's like, I'm going to give you a son. We're going to make this happen. I'm going to guide you on this path and do everything I can because I love you and I want to be a part of it. These kind of things left me in tears. So many mornings, so profound that when you go about your day, you're just like, I'm looking at this tree behind you, this little plant. And I'm like, oh, it's so beautiful. Sound like a hippie. I'm a fighting hippie that's done heroin. You know, (laughs) there's just no labels for this. It's hard to even put into words. I always tell people, don't conceptualize. Don't put into words. You don't have to write it down. This is for you. If you want to share it with me, this is great. And we see like this profound healing in people, whether they talk about it or not. And then eventually I felt that element, it kind of led me to this path where I needed to spread healing to as many people as possible. Going off on a tangent from fertility. Let me just go back to the fertility for a moment. Six months after starting this process, my wife was like, go get checked. And it's a funny story where you go in and you have to go in a cup and I can tell the details of it later. Not too many details, but I didn't think much of it. I told her we just had a great time when I came home. And I remember like getting a call or maybe it was a letter. I don't even remember. It's a past life. I think we always have to die to our past lives, but I try to remember this story to share with people. And they said, wow, your sperm is like above normal. You have like high levels. So I was like, all right, let's get to work. You know, let's get to work. And it was like the most beautiful thing. And at that point I was like, you know what? Let me freeze a little bit of my sperm because we have technology. I'm not opposed to technology and modern science. It saves people. It, you know, it's great for emergency and trauma care. So that was basically my fertility journey. We froze a bunch of my sperm. We decided to do IVF because we wanted to have a baby like now. And it was a great experience. I mean, it's challenging for women because they have to go through a lot of blood draws, injections. They have to get pumped full of hormones. Me, I'm just offering part of my DNA, which is a beautiful thing, but they do the work. It takes a strong woman to do IVF. And a lot of men don't talk about this. So I love talking about it. Because a lot of times men, if they can't conceive, they don't get checked. They just go, oh, you need to do something different. They drop it off on the woman and it's, I don't want to judge them. Everyone has their path, but I just, I don't think that's the right way to go about it. Taking responsibility, go and get checked. There's ways to do it. I took a little bit of HCG, which a lot of people use like post-steroid cycle with FSH, which are follicle stimulating hormone. And I said, you know, I like the energy of these. I sat with them for a while and I said, man, these like, they resonate with me, but I know I don't want to take high doses. Doctors were like, you need to take I forget the number, 5,000 IUs or something like that. I was like, maybe I'll take 200 or 150. And people were like, that's not going to do anything. I said, that's fine. I just want to see what it does. I tried many different things. I took like animal organs. I just listened to my intuition. And I think that's a huge thing. Wow. So now we have this awesome dude. So cool. Yeah. I love that. I love when the impossible becomes possible right? And the unseen becomes seen. That phenomenon is just so fascinating. It's here all the time. We just have to be receptive to it. Yeah. Well, congratulations on turning that around. It's crazy. If you asked me if that, I don't know that much about fertility, but if you said, hey, you know, I'm not producing any sperm, I I would think, well, I guess you're not having any kids. (laughs) Like I had no idea that even by traditional or medical methods that that was something that could be dealt with. I thought like once you're tapped out, you're, you're done. 
I went through a ton of studies actually, and most of the studies were like, if you've done testosterone recently, it's not going to happen. Zero, zero. Every study was like zero. And I found an obscure study in China with guys that stayed on testosterone and got their uh, their sperm count up a little bit. And I was like, oh, this is going to be me. But I mean, it was so obscure. And it was from so many years ago. I think it was like from 70 or uh, not 70, 1970 or 1980. I just, I knew if it was possible, whether I thought it, saw it, it was going to happen. Rad. Yeah. Glad it and did. then this, I started studying CBD for fertility and it actually can help with fertility. Oh, word? THC does the opposite. THC is phenomenal, at least pure THC, phenomenal for fun, recreation. I think it's a great spiritual compound. We can use it. You can go really deep. You can take edibles and have a psychedelic experience. But when we do testing with THC and people that use whoop devices, their REM sleep, their deep sleep goes down. CBD goes up. As long as you don't take too much. And you have to find your dose. That's what I tell everyone. Start low, go up slow. That's the key. So, Before we wrap up here, give me some of the, maybe you know your, your top five or 10 things that you've done to ensure your baby's health. Because I know when you came in, I was like, oh, look at his cute little sneakers because they're like two inches long, yeah. tiny little shoes. And then um, your wife, Kristen, was like, oh, yeah, they have a, you know, they're grounded. And you're <laughs> like, yeah, they're flat and they have a toe box. You found like the biohacked yeah. kid shoes, which I'm sure was uh, difficult. But what, what's been your approach in terms of, I mean, not just, you know, the emotional and sort of spiritual element of being a parent, but in terms of the birth process and, and now at the age, like what's your kid eating? I'm, I'm assuming they're out you know, barefoot near your farm a lot. What's your initial approach to uh, being a parent in that regard? This is like the coolest part to me of everything because now this is the future aspect and that's part of the whole journey of confront your past, understanding your death and working with your reality, your ancestors, your family. And now what do we have as a future? So it's so funny. I read so many books. We plan to have a home birth. In our home, we want no medical intervention whatsoever. So we had a doula, who's a Reiki practitioner, a great friend of ours, and a midwife. So we're going to every weekly meeting. And Kristen has like no side effects during her pregnancy. Or no ill effects, I should say. Or let's say effects women don't want. Nothing's ill. But she would get a little swelling. That was it. The baby was growing perfectly. Everything was going like according to plan. She had a diet that I like provided for her, like nose to tail. We studied like all the greens that she should be eating. We went like so deep. And uh, one book that resonated really deeply with me was called Natural Infant Hygiene. And I also the continuum concept. These are like ways of raising your baby in the, the idea that, you know, kids have been around for tens of thousands of years successfully. And only in recent times do we have this like fast-paced society. Let's make everything very convenient. So I'd read most of the books and the studying. And when Kristen would wake up, we'd meditate together. We'd read the books together. We'd read it to him. We wanted to tell him about the ways we were going to raise him. Um, one of the things that was really cool was they now call it elimination communication. They say that this concept of diapering your baby is purely Western and I believe it was like in India and China and a lot of older civilizations, they never used it. Native Americans never used it. It's such a new thing. Now it's getting pushed on the East and many different countries, but like, think about it. We tell our babies, pee, poop in this thing. Let it sit there. Let it simmer for a while. First of all, hygiene wise, that's pretty disgusting. I mean, I was diapered. That's pretty horrible. 
And a lot of babies are peeing. They don't even know it because there's so much uh, like cotton. I don't even know if it's cotton. It's all these chemicals to absorb it so they don't feel it. So they sleep through the whole night. Parents never change them. And we said, okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going to teach him to tell us when he has to pee. Tell us when he has to use, has to poop. So basically, they say you can start it at like three months. We just started at like two months. So I'll go back in the story. We were planning a home birth and we got to 40 weeks. And that's like the due date. And then we started getting further and past that. And the baby's growing, but he does not want to come out. I'm like, man, you're such a comfy womb. You have the greatest <laughs> like nutrition. Our home was just like the den of serenity. And this was in Miami before we got the place in, uh, in the countryside. We had that place, but it was a work in progress. And we had the beach. We would go to the beach all the time. We're grounding, earthing, drinking the best water, meditating together. It was perfect. And he just did not want to come out. And at 42 weeks, Florida's required, the midwife is required to pass you on to the doctor. And I'm like, there's no way this is going to happen. I'm like, we're not going to a hospital. And I said, all right, we'll go to bed tonight. It's now the 42-week mark. Our midwife called us, said, I'm sorry, I have to terminate care. And we were in a very stressful state, super stressful. I started calling other midwives I knew, renegade midwives, and they're like, all right, we'll come. You can't tell anyone. And no one can come or ever hear about this. So we were prepared to keep doing it at home. Anyhow, she had to take a, uh, an ultrasound. We didn't do any ultrasounds. We just, we had the midwife do the testing. Everything was perfect. But right before the birth, they had to do an ultrasound. And the baby, they said the baby was like 10 pounds, which is huge. I mean, I think now they say six to seven is like the average size. So 10 pounds. And my wife's not like a big girl. She's small. So we were a little concerned, but we just thought, you know what? We're going to get through it. Anyhow, that night, it's funny. I took a THC edible to relax a little bit. I took my CBD and I said, you know what? I want to get knocked out tonight. Like an hour later, she's like, man, I have the worst headache. Migraine, like the worst migraine you can, like she couldn't open her eyes. So I'm giving her water and I said, let me just check your blood pressure. And it was so high. It was almost like 200 over whatever it was, 120. I said, okay, I'm pretty stoned right now, but we're going to the hospital. And she's like, no, 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 no. I had to convince her. Like, I just listened to intuition. I said, you know what? We got to do it. Obviously, we don't want this. We'll figure it out later. Your health, his health is the most important thing. So we get to the hospital. The hospital, that's, they're known for being more like natural. They try to push natural childbirth. They don't force vaccines. So we get there and uh, worst part, COVID test. You imagine you have a migraine and they're just like shoving a COVID <laughs> test in her nose. We didn't get COVID tests. Yeah. We've never taken the test. So she's like grabbing me. My wife's a martial artist. She's a badass. She she's, just walked in, by the way. Oh, uh, she's a high level. I've seen her beat the crap out of guys. So it just tells you. She's like perfect woman, like the most amazing at everything she does. She's a goddess to me. And she's tough as nails. And she grabbed this woman. The woman was like, you need to let go of me now or I will call security. She's like, I right, breathe it through. And then the doctor comes in and says, yep, C-section. And this dude came in and he had earrings dangling. Not like I'm judging him by it, but like we never even spoke to a doctor. And like his tone, he was like, yeah, we're just going to do a C-section. We're going to do this. He was in street clothes. I'm like, oh, this is not happening. Kristen's like, second opinion. We need a second opinion. He goes, you're going to die if you need a second opinion. And we called everyone. And this is like at four o'clock in the morning, three in the morning. No one's answering the phone. And we just knew that she needed to do an emergency C-section, which is everything we did not want to do. So 
I'm going to have to go into the details of the C-section, but it happens and she refused all pain meds. I mean, what you need to do for the surgery, but afterwards women take pain meds for like a week. She just refused everything. She just like took it like a champ. I've never seen someone like just deal with things. That much pain because you know what the end goal is. And then he comes out, he was like almost nine pounds, big dude. So who knows if it was, but either way, I tell people that the whole experience of this kind of childbirth and every childbirth is psychedelic in nature. Now a lot of my clients are, gui- are asking me for like guidance on childbirth, on breastfeeding, and Kristen helps with this because I had to study all this. What you should use, what products, what glass instead of plastic. It's, it's really fascinating. But So we do natural infant hygiene. He pees and poops. Like, he tells us when. He has like a specific cry and he'll hold it for hours. He's 11 months now, but he's been doing that for like four or five months. So we just take him to a bathroom and we put him on a little makeshift toilet. And he looks and he grunts a little and goes to the bathroom. Or I used to hold him over a sink and he would just pee in the sink. And we do sign language. So we teach him sign language. So now he's actually starting to sign to us instead of having to grunt. Like potty, dad, and little things. And these are very young, I mean, under a year. That's so cool. Potty training, there's kids that are five and four that are not potty trained. Wow. And that leads to bedwetting later. It leads to sexual dysfunction. Like if you're holding your feces down there, it makes people not want to have sex later on. A host of issues that can become deep-seated traumas. And we're like, we need this kid to be part of the earth. We actually, he never wears shoes. He just did because of like the airport. He's crawling around the hotel room. We're like, let's put them on. They look kind of cool. First time he's ever worn shoes though. Wow. But food-wise... She does baby-led weaning, which is basically, we gave him food, we put it in front of him like real food, pick it up, and he wasn't swallowing, he would just chew it, spit it out. He was learning how to eat food, chewing, learning the sensations. We'd put curry flavor, every flavor you can imagine. And you could just see that he was just loving it all. We would give him weird, crazy stuff. Most people feed their babies purees because they're so afraid of them choking. But actually, that's going to cause choking later on. After a year, they say after a year is when most babies actually choke, God forbid, and pass, or who knows, need some type of intervention. It's because they never get practice eating foods. And like, think about it, for tens of thousands of years, did, you know, a mom in wherever she lived, whatever country, was she putting stuff in a blender or buying mashed foods? No, she might soften it a little, but she wants them to learn how to eat. So now he eats everything, and we eat like fully organic, he eats like steak, potatoes, avocado, greens, everything you could possibly imagine. Fruits and vegetables, like the most delicious stuff. And then when we go out to dinner, it's like the funniest thing. Because we're little foodies. So he'll like eat foie gras with like a jellyfish <laughs> wasabi dressing. Like it's wild. We wanted a page for him. But it's like, have you ever put any organ meat, like organ meats in front of him? Oh yeah, he eats it all. He eats those. Kid. I, find, I find it really interesting how you know, depending on our cultural upbringing and the types of foods that are around, we get um, very sensitive to strong tasting food, you know? And I, I hear about people where their kids will eat beef liver or heart or something like that, which is, of course, so nutritionally dense. But I think, you know, for me, I I don't know what I was eating, granola or something. You know what, yeah, I, you know what I'm crazy? saying? You know, so it's just like now I really have a very difficult time eating eating my liver. I cube it up raw and I just like throw it back like a more like a vitamin, you know. But had I been fed liver by choice, if you put it in front of me when I was one year old and I was like, yummy, this is good, I would probably love liver, you know. But everyone kind of has those 
early experiences where we're just not exposed to different foods and much less, like you're saying, actually given the choice, hand me a platter as a one-year-old and, oh, today I want some grapes. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, or tomorrow I might want an oyster. You know what I mean? So I, he I needs sardines, like out of a can. That's rad. Where's it, you know? He, I mean, Kristen would speak on this stuff a little bit better than me, but I mean, we want to give them like whole foods, fiber, like the nutritional content is so important. And obviously breastfeeding, that was the main thing. The three things that we thought were the most important, like from day one, were keeping the baby on the boob. It's funny, my terminology's changed. Breastfeeding, breastfeeding. Now it's like, oh, he needs the boob, the boob, the boob, the boob. And then when you start talking to the community that like knows about this type of stuff, it's like, yeah, on the boob. So breastfeeding for two years minimum is the ideal. Now, a lot of women won't produce that much or dry up. You do whatever you can. That's part of this whole like psychedelic journey. It's surrender. Like when you're on a psychedelic, it's about like letting go of control. That's what a lot of this whole experience taught me. But we wanted to put him, like make sure we were skin to skin a lot. Most people know that, at least when they're very young. Uh, we wanted him to sleep with us because in times where we slept in tribes, you wouldn't put him in another room, close the door and let him cry it out. Because a wolf, a dog, a boar, whatever, is going to come there and eat your baby. So think about that. And it's so detrimental to kids if you just say, I want you to cry. Cry it out. And then you'll stop crying and then parents get peace. To me, it's a very selfish thing. Like, what's happening to a baby in that time? They're yearning for you. They're yearning for security. They're completely helpless. It's the most helpless thing that comes out of a womb like in the world. Reptiles crawl away, snakes crawl away, animals, I mean, deer know how to walk. Babies, you can't leave them unattended. And people are always concerned, oh, if you're always going to your baby when they cry, they're going to become these non-self-sufficient things. It's the total opposite. Uh, one of your guests spoke about this. Uh, Gabor Mate, is yeah. that his name? Yeah. I had never heard of him, ever. And then I was looking at one of your podcasts and I see him and he's talking about this type of stuff. It's so important. This is the basis of the continuum concept. So we made sure that he slept with us. Then he transitioned into a little floor bed right by us. He's with us. He's part of our tribe. That's why I brought him to the podcast. I'm glad you did. Most people are going, I, I got to fly on business. I love to see Allison uh, light up when babies are around. She's very ready to have a baby. Yeah. <laughs> I was happy you were bringing your, your oh, wife. Oh, good. Because it can go boy. either way. Oh, I love it. It's great. But anyway, man, thank you so much for, for bringing yourself, your wisdom, your energy. I, I really enjoy uh, speaking to you. you thank know, you so uh, much for yeah, having me. I was yeah. so excited to come out to Austin. Yeah. Never been. Bring him. Bring the family to you. And you can probably stop by and see Khalil while you're here. Hopefully yeah. you have time. Uh, my last question for you, my friend, sure. is this. Who have been three teachers or teachings in your life that you'd like to share with us? I can't say Teachers teachings I can get into. Teachers, there's just so many. You know, I don't, maybe my father is like the one that resonates the most, but um, bringing like intent of kindness to everyone around you. It sounds so basic, but like Kristen sees me talking to everyone, everywhere we go. And it's funny, like the perfect example was the guy next to us on the plane. He happened to be this amazing doctor. We had no idea. And he was going through tremendous anxiety and stress when it comes to end-of-life stuff, dying, his own mortality. And he was a young dude, younger than me. And we were concerned, oh, Max might bug him. Turns out he has kids going through all the same stuff that we were going through. And we had almost this exact conversation on the plane with him. And I could almost sense, like, 
what it was. I thought I was just talking his ear off. And afterwards, he's like, man, we were meant to sit next to each other. What you're telling me right now, it's just hitting me so deep. And he took some of my CBD and he said, I got the best sleep in my entire life. And you've changed my life, my whole experience coming to Austin. He was traveling on business. So Kristen was starting to tell me, like, you talk to everyone. Somehow you make a connection with these people that no one makes a connection to with every waiter, with every guy in our hotel, like holding a door, or every valet person, to obviously you and Bailey and all the people that I meet. We can spread so much love on such a basic level by spreading kindness. Like everyone's talking about, oh, save the rainforest, save these things. And they don't like to start with themselves. They don't like to look internally. They don't want to look in the mirror. And that's the most important part. That's part of this whole voyage. But just being kind is a very simple thing. I think the second lesson is hold everything very sacred. It's so easy just to throw on like, oh, Instagram or this. I, don't, I mean, I don't use that stuff, but most of the people I talk to, they do. And that's like the basis of their problem is being disconnected, not realizing that walking to your car is a sacred act. Hearing the dog barking, I'm like listening to it for a minute. I don't have to be like, this is an annoyance. When my baby cries and I have to get up at three o'clock in the morning, he likes me to beat, uh, we, will, we will rock you on him. <laughs> He's not a normal baby. He doesn't like lullabies. He wants me to like slam on him and scream like a friggin' mosh pit to get him to go to sleep. And I cherish every single moment of that. And I see it rubs off on Kristen. I see it rubs off on like everyone. Like every single moment is sacred. And then when it comes to end of life things, you know you've done it right. The third thing is I think just finding balance, kind of what I do with people. I think you need to push the extremes when I'm talking to people that do Peloton and they're doing, I get like a good cardio a couple minutes a day. I said, once in a while, push it beyond your boundaries as far as you possibly can to where you're in pain and maybe you're limping for two days or maybe take up a martial art like jujitsu where someone wants to murder me and then I have to tap out. Push the physical as far as possible and then treat your body very well. You'll get to center. Do it mentally with meditation. You know meditation. You don't want to meditate. Does anyone want to meditate? You sit there and you're like, oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do There's a calling to everything. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Or choose something that stimulates you intellectually, but not in a fun way. I don't mean go online and listen to every podcast imaginable because it's enjoyable on your car ride. Maybe count your breaths. Maybe have maximum intent while you're driving. Turn on the blinker. Feel the blinker. Don't just hear it. Don't think it's annoying. Someone honks, feel that honk. Maybe feel where it's coming from. Be present even though you don't want to. That's going to build mental toughness. And then enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself a little bit. Take the edge off. Breathe. Enjoy. And then spiritually do the same thing. Challenge yourself so far. Psychedelics is a great tool. That's probably the most powerful tool for catharsis. Push it. Push the spirituality as far as you can. And then also just give thanks to whatever you trust as spirit, whether it's religious, whether it's nature, whether it's the universe, whatever it is, give thanks and just be happy about it. So all these things will bring us back to center. And that's like my little shtick that I share with my clients and as much success as possible. I get a lot of people that call me crying and emailing me with great thanks and that's it. Even if it's one person, I'm so thankful for that. And I'm thankful for being able to do this, thankful to connect with you. What more can I ask for? 
<laughs> I think that, thank you for all of that. I think the leaf blowers are like inside my headphones right now. And it's a great opportunity for me to practice because I'm like, you know, I really care about the sound on this show right. and, you know, the presentation and all. So it's funny as you're saying that, I'm like, yeah, cool. I can become at peace and balanced with the leaf blowers. Yeah, right. You don't have to kick them. Yeah. No. And, you know, there's, it's always the reframe, right? It's like, oh my God. There, I even have a yard that I steward and somebody's taking care of it. You know <laughs> really? what I mean? Like, oh, it's just so annoying. How much it's gratitude like, do you need to yeah, have? Yeah, I spent, you know, 32 years living in apartments, mostly in LA, and, you know, there was nothing to garden because it was all concrete. Man, thank you so much. Thank I'm you so for glad. I'm me. so glad you came out too, and that this worked out, and that you're able to bring your family. And um, I, you know, Khalil said you guys are really going to hit it off. Trust me. Just follow up, follow up. And I appreciate your persistence. I know we text a little bit, and you know, life and yeah. a lot of CBD in my life. <laughs> I was like, of course, yeah, I'll of course. get to it later. But then we, you know, we started to connect more, and I'm just really glad you came out. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, buddy. Thanks for joining me and Adam for this expansive conversation. Now, my hope is that it leaves you inspired to create the life of success and meaning that you deserve just as Adam has. And now that you're educated on the vast topic of CBD, I'd like to remind you to support Adam's company and your own health and well-being at the same time by visiting lukestory.com slash elementhealth. And don't forget to use the code Luke for 15% off anything and everything you want to get over there. And you'll also find that link in the show notes on your podcast app, by the way. If you felt inspired or even mildly entertained by today's episode, please take a moment to text it to a couple friends or even post it to your social media accounts. Now, I know many of you regular listeners do this on an ongoing basis, and I want to let you know how much I sincerely appreciate that. And also that um, just taking a few seconds to do so makes a huge impact on the show's growth and longevity. So thank you in advance and retroactively for your support of the Lifestylist Podcast.